So, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whenever you listen to this. This is Match Bailey alongside my critique fan in crime, Ricardo Medina. Hello, hello, hello. And this is another episode of BS Beats and Bailey. Um, so, just get out of the way, folks. Bad news. Um, we haven't seen anything theatrically uh, for this episode. I was going to see Good Boys, but I don't know, boy. I was just so caught up with season two of Mindhunter, which I'm going to review later on in this episode here, that I was just like, I could I, I could probably wait till next week, I guess, to see it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'll check it out eventually. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. But um, yeah, that, that's my excuse for not checking out Good Boys. Uh, but we do have a couple of movies to talk about. Uh, first being a movie that we were dying to see and we finally checked it out. Or at least I should say, you checked it out a week in advance, regardless. I finally got the chance to see it. This would be the last black man in San Francisco. I'm hearing right. nothing but praise for this movie. So I finally got to see it. So um, we will both discuss that film. Also, I suffered through a little film called Sex Toplets, which is the latest film from uh, Marlon Wayans. Comedy right. I, icon right, right, himself. Right. So why even watch this? In, in fact, why even give this the time of day? I, I, I think because it's, a net, because it's on Netflix and because of the gimmick, that's all I'm saying. The gimmick is something that I haven't seen him do before. I mean, it's not the original gimmick. That gimmick, of course, being you know one actor playing um, more than one character. So in this case, he's playing six characters in this film. Um, so it's very reminiscent of Eddie Murphy and what he did with... Um, with the Nutty Professor, and something that I was reminded of through my good, uh, our good, you know, um, Trinity Critics, the colleague, Wade Rock, shout out to Wayne. Um, it was spoofed also in the excellent, excellent uh, movie, Tropic Thunder, uh, roughly right. like 10, 11 years ago, with the fatties with uh, Jack Black. So, which, right. yes, yeah, so that was making fun of, you know, Nutty Professor and the Clump family and all that kind of stuff, right? right. So, good thing that he reminded me of that. But yeah, I just wanted to see exactly how he was going to pull it off. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, it lighted this, uh, this all this Eddie Murphy hand-wringing and wrangling, you know. Did you, did you watch, um, I don't know if you saw it, it came out a while now. Did you watch, did you watch um, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee? No, and, um, and the funny thing is that this is a show that another colleague of ours, um, Somali Polony, have been recommended, recommending to so me to I, check out, I, but no, I haven't seen it. I watch it, I watch it regularly just to see which guest started. Yeah, I don't watch it all the time, but um, the episode with Eddie Murphy does make reference to how his career trajectory would have been different if it wasn't for, well, Bill Cosby and whatnot. And it's oh. like, you're not sure if, like, if, you'd have, if these movies would have been any better or if you would have even choose, chosen these movies at all if it wasn't for shenanigans like this. No? Right. And you wonder, like, okay, you can kind of understand why Eddie Murphy's career kind of got railroaded. I mean, we could get into that debate if it really was railroaded by Cosby or not. Uh, I, I think it was, but... Um, Where's Marlon Wayans excuse to? I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, he's been in the game for 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 years though. Think, yeah, you would have think that Marlon Wayans would have at least fighting up with better scripts. Like I don't get the sense that he was ever blackballed by anybody. Anybody like somebody can tell me later. I mean, tell me now if he is blackballed by anybody because for his career, you know, but I don't understand this at all. Like what he just doing a worse version of what Eddie Murphy was doing now. Yeah, but uh, you know, on the subject of that, well, I know we, we have a couple other things to talk about, but as you mentioned, Eddie Murphy, I mean, at least Eddie Murphy was was aiming for, like, really high-quality films, yeah, though, like, like comedies. Uh, you know uh, what I mean? Like, like to extend um, the Professor 1 and 2, I mean, I mean, you know, 
they're no masterpieces, but they're still right. really entertaining <laughs> films. You know what I mean? And even before that, no, no, okay. you know, with the distinguished gentleman and right. Boomerang, right. you know what I mean? So he was aiming for the stars there. But Marlon yeah. Williams is just like, well, bottom barrel stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. Six so man, senseless, uh, you know? Think, yeah, everything after Distinguished Gentleman is kind of bad for me. Um, Even though Distinguished Gentleman self had problems. Yeah, um, true, true. Boomerang was kind of like kind of meh for me, but it was still good. It was still good. No, but he had like, um, like what do you call it? Dr. Doolittle was okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Then he, he did the, the Rails Cup tree kind of sucked. Yeah, um, um, I remember Bowfinger being a thing, but I never watched right. it at all. Yeah. That was one of those that was just a kind of like, I could have seen like that being hilarious to some people. But yeah, there's a kind of a mess. Right. But he just, some weird scripts he make, and we could get into that debate about, again, whether in his career with a, with a railroad, if he could get bigger roles or not, we're not sure. That's a whole debate. Right. And, but again, with Marlon Wayans, Marlon Wayans had good roles. He had like, oh God, the movie with the drugs, uh, what do you call it? Um, um, yeah, Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. Requiem for a Dream, right. Which was like, the first time we ever saw him in a dramatic role, and he, he, he was great in that. Right. But I don't understand why does his career never build in an interesting way now? Like, why does he, he just going for this, this low ball crap in this way now? Like, yeah, I could understand. Still doing it to this day, like, I get Wesley Sipes, he had to pay the government still for cash, for tax, right? You, right. you know? Like, plenty of them, them stars, every time you see them doing cheap bullshit, is, is that, right? But, like, seriously, you're still doing this? And it's not even like, what's the worst part is that it don't even look like even an effort, no? Yeah, That's why yeah. I, don't even, I don't even give it the time idea. I just see a trailer, Corey Coleman or one of them, go make fun of it, and I'll be like, okay, and that's it. I'll not, like, not even mention it or talk about it, because, like, yeah, clearly, clearly it's not meant to be any kind of product or anything serious, no? You know, whatever. Right. Well, well, on the subject of, of um, Corey Coleman, I remember, they, yes, they did talk about Sex Uplister. So I was like kind of curious though, because I didn't see any trailer. What I just saw was a review of, you know, the trailer, whatever it is from yeah, those guys. I still haven't even watched that review of it or even review of a trailer. Because like, yeah, again, why does that them could see that that gone have me like, hey boy, this is real interesting to find out what happened to Malawians. Like what's going on here? Nothing. Yeah, like, yeah. Right, but, yeah. but, we, but we'll we'll get to that. You'll get to that eventually, right? Um, yeah. So, oh yes, so yes, I will also be talking about uh, season two of the fantastic Netflix series Mindhunter. And okay. uh, well, you have a couple. Of, well, you're gonna talk about um, the Invaderism special, which came out. Right. Um, well, last. Well, you know, the weekend times recorded here on Netflix yeah. as well. Too. Um, I was not on the Invaderism, you know, train when when that series was big. Unfortunately, Me yeah, no, I just kind of pick and choose certain shows, and I don't know, Invaderism just wasn't was, one of them for me. Was, yeah, it was. Well, we'll talk, we'll talk about it, but effectively, it was kind of the rock of its of its of its time. Like, right, what was for the nineties? This was for the early two thousands. Yeah, but I did like the art style. I, I thought the art style yeah. was kind of cool. Um, yeah, that's but, a, uh, yeah. the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, well, starting things off, we're actually gonna have our first uh, book review for for well this program here for 2019. No, second. Second. Yeah. Well, what was the what yeah. was the last book we talked about? Well, you talked well, about. I, sorry. I did review well the the same author's last book. That's uh, uh Neil Stevenson. I did uh, the Rise and Fall of Dodo. Did a short review of that. That, that, that wasn't this year, though. I remember that. Oh, <laughs> that, that was a while back. That, that was actually a I while back that you did that. Oh, I thought you said this show. Oh, no, no, no. Not, not this show. I'm talking about um, this year. This year. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, for yeah. this year. Right. Right. I didn't read other books. <laughs> okay. 
All right, so um, take it away with the with the book review. What is this? Book? Ah, yes. So this is well, again, one of my favorite living authors, uh, Neil Stevenson, pretty solid science fiction author. Uh-huh. Uh, has a lot of some good books in his in his category, and then he has some truly masterpiece books in his in his oeuvre. And you know, I ain't go as far as saying he's slipping or anything like that, but you know, his last couple of books have been a little underwhelming. Um, Seven Eves. You know, was good, and then he kind of is weird to it. Actually, went with um, Reem D, which was a bit of a disappointment for me. It was just a, just a techno thriller, but not that interesting of a techno thriller. Then his last book he co wrote, I forget the woman's name, but he co wrote this book called Your Eyes and Fall Dodo, which I did a review on the show some while back. Yes, that yeah. was some cool magic, that's some weird magic ideas and some cool sci fi ideas and some decent history. But again, it was still a little underwhelming, but it was still okay for what right. it was. Uh, and... dumb, dumb, dumb question, right? Um, so, you know, with this, with this guy here, right, um, is, are there any particular themes or subjects that he explores with his books? You know, something that you could um, kind of look forward to with his stuff? Or yeah, yeah, no. there something different with each, every, with each and every yeah, book? No, all of them tend to be quite different, um, but they, they, they tend to link. So they, they're different, but they tend to link, and some of the books tend to be in the same universe. Or at least it's strongly implied in the same universe, or have some kind of workable continuity. Um, so it's like, oh shit, is this character from this? Or they'll make mention of something. Oh yeah, right. It's from. Oh, is that character from this book? Or they make right. And he, his stories tend to span very long time periods. Um, you know, in terms of jumping forward, but it's fine as it is. So this book is a direct sequel of a previous book of his, which I was a little disappointed of mine which is um, Reem D, right? That was a kind of techno thriller involving a character called Richard, who is the head of a big gaming corporation, and he was kind of blackmailed, and his niece was kidnapped, and he had to rescue her from terrorists and that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, this story now is called... Okay, so the name of the book we are reviewing is called Fall or Dodge in Hell. And oh, okay. Yeah. Right, it's a kind of weird kind of thing. And what it is, this one is about the idea of simulation theory. That's the central theme in this one. It's the idea of simulation theory and mind uploading, right? That really popular concept in, in transhumanist and, and science fiction co- communities. The right. idea that, oh, well, if you could die, you could upload your brain into some kind of cloud on the internet, right? Or something like that. Or some yeah, server. Um, wasn't there, um, like, like a... a... I known this thing to be explored in, in other sci-fi films before. Yes, I'm um, I, I remember um, there was that one that really got awful one with Johnny Depp. Uh, what it was by trans, not trans. Oh no, that was, yeah, that was terrible. Yeah, I remember that. But anyway, yeah. like yeah, oh, versions of it, that other general story versions of it, like San Junipero had a cool version of it. Yes, um, I remember. Yeah, mind yeah, mind uploading is a common concept. Um, in this, what okay, so what Stevenson does well as an author is he does he really. His will building is done in such a way where it really feels as if you could do it. It really feels like the way he describes things as if, oh, well, you know, this real possible or plausible, you know, he'll get into like the nitty gritty engineering of how to pull it off. Mm-hmm. And he will like in, in, in descript detail explain how the characters could do this. Or, and you, you really buy that they could do it in the world. And then you'll do a ton of world building and, and economic and, and, you know, social reasons as to why this could be possible. You'll get into the, the the general approach to these things. He does. It has a nice grounded feel to, to his um storytelling. Even though the idea is very fantastical, he's very good at describing these ideas. He's one of the best at that, in my opinion. It, at least, you know, getting into getting into that space of it. 
right? Uh, his problem, however, is that he's tend to like kind of go off on tangents about this because again, it's about world building. So it's like you have to get into that world building, and he'll have a sort of side tangents. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't work as character pieces. In this storyline, I don't just go and straight up say it. It didn't work. Um, this book. Wow. I'll go as far as saying that this book is not so much. It's a bunch of decent ideas, but the book I just go and straight. Yeah, the book is not polished at all. In fact, I'll go as far as saying it's not finished. Right, literally, it was it was like if I was reading a second draft manuscript of something that could have been good. Um, wow. So the story is right again. Follow Dodge in Hell. It's about well the main character from um, Reemdy Richard, a character called Richard, mis- um, nicknamed Dodge Fortress, and right. this he effectively he dies. What he died, he was supposed to go into some surgery, but he had complications of the surgery and. What ended up happening is that he, when he back in the nineties, he signed his will to have his brain frozen, right? As have his body, body, a brain frozen, and then the idea was to ultimately, through what we call cryogenics, which was popular in the nineties, on on um unfreeze his body in the future sometime, and that that was you know that was the attempt. Now the actual engineering of cryogenics is nonsense and don't work. But what they decide to do in the storyline is that well, it had a kind of modern version of it, where what they do is effectively scan his brain and upload it on a, on a server, right? So some kind of server where you, you pay for the bandwidth cost. And what is updated on the server is basically something like a, what you call a connect to. So it's, it's your simulator brain on the, on the internet, right? Well, that's fine. What ended up happening is that the brain now, when it woke up in the, in the connect to because it quote-unquote woke up, it started making sense of the world in a weird way. And it started what you call chaos. It started creating um, effectively a fantasy world inside it and started using the internet bandwidth and internet and silver, um, silver tech and all this stuff on, online to start simulating physics in the world. And effectively, this brain formed itself out of nothing. So the character is like a kind of god of sorts. And he kind of created a new universe. And then when everybody else who died started uploading themselves onto it, they started uploading themselves into this world. So what you have is a, a fantasy storyline nested within a techno thriller. Because ah. everybody in the world wrangling and, and arguing about, well, what's going on here? Is it really, a, is it really Richard? They're not sure what's going on here. And then they started like simulating the world itself to see what it is. And then people started working out... Uh, well, to upload in this world, what you will look like in the world and what it should be like. So you have a whole, his, a whole history of characters, pretty much all the characters who from, from Reem D comes back, right? Because it's now like about 20 years in the future from that book. A good bit of time passes. Well, no, about 10, it starts, it starts off about 10 years, 10 years later. Then it goes forward and forward and time passes. Character, all the characters in the storyline, they die and then they get a brain scan and go into the fantasy world. And it starts building from there. And again, bunch of okay ideas, not bad science fiction premise, but just totally not fleshed out. Um, a lot of stuff just not like he didn't like a, a ton of things he talks about doesn't really come back to into play, which was disappointing. Um, a lot of the ideas, like I, I'm just gonna straight up say it, I thought the whole fantasy world that was built in was kind of boring and kind of lame, frankly. Um, I just read like bad Tolkien, in my opinion, mm. and. Yeah, that's that about it. There's not really much else to, to say or talk about. I mean, it, the end was okay and it kind of, again, not bad ideas. The real world stuff was cool, but this one, this one is a, a disappointment for me. 
Um, wow, I don't know, sorry, I still sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't too excited about it to tell you the truth because again, the prequel book was one of the most most disappointing books in his in his um link. And even though I like his characters in this, I, I really actually enjoy the characters. I like Richard, I like Zula and all these characters. Uh the the actual world building not that interesting. It, it, it's surprisingly not, not interesting and it doesn't build itself particularly well. But it has its moments that actually um uh, works. A couple of the side characters I enjoyed. Uh, especially a character, the, probably the, well, the main antagonist of the story, and a character called Elmo Shepard. He's a pretty cool character. Um, and I got what he was trying to go for with it, but I really wish that he just sat down and just fleshed stuff out a little better, change up some things in the narrative to have it make a little more sense, and have, it, to have, it, and have the story flow a little better. It's really unfortunate, a shame that you get the feeling that he, just, he does fight on a, de- a deadline and he kind of stopped caring halfway. Um, nowhere near as, as brilliant as the masterpiece, I still strongly recommend um, Anatem and books like Anatem and Cryptonomicon and stuff like um, uh, oh gosh, was, was the other book where he do or oh, um, um, Snow Crash, yeah, which you could totally still make a movie off of. And Seventy yeah. Seventy still okay, even though the two, last third is kind of weird. Um, you know, if you're making a movie of a Seventy, you just make a movie of the first two thirds and you're fine. Eh? <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, that's it. Uh, I really sh- it's really a shame that he couldn't. Um, Sit down with this one. They said that's the problem with Stevenson. You know, the book was one of those these kind of books that it suffer from what you call um the world marches on. You know, history marches on. You know, a lot of books suffer from that. Where you write about something as if, oh, it's this great idea and this great concept that scientists are then literally a year later that the scientists will solve that very problem. Um it is happening in science fiction all the time. Classic yeah, yeah, example. A classic example is is um the, the God particle thing, you know. It had a ton of science fiction books and things that was like, you know, oh, God Particle and how in the year 2055 we discovered the God Particle. And it's like, uh, no, the God Particle, they found it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. Just the other day. Uh, another example is um, Fulmat's Last Theorem. You know, you'll, you'll hear Data on Star Trek talk about, oh, Fulmat's Last Theorem, this, this impossible solve thing that we solved in 22 something. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, literally a year later, the. the, the in the airing of the episode of Star Trek, they found it. So, you know, the writers of Star Trek have to say, well, you know, it had another format last year that they never solved, or they just discovered some bullshit they had to come up with, right? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of the joy and pain of sci-fi, you know what I mean? Right. How dated so, yeah, theories get, how quickly right? these theories get dated now. Exactly, and it's very different. You know, sci-fi have a shelf life, and some sci-fi have a lot of RL short shelf life, and you had a future-proof your sci-fi, unfortunately. Um... This suffered from that because, like, especially with my 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 career and what I'm I'm familiar with, I was like just reading some stuff. It's like, yeah, you know, this they already kind of move on from this in 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 a debate. Like, I already read a Reddit thread explaining why this thing is not that not as not the way you're describing it. And you know, unfortunately, because you have to sit down and write as opposed to keeping up with stuff, you don't have time to change it. And he just didn't change it, and he didn't worry about it. What he did do, he did this bullshit thing of well, having a character be ignorant of it, and then the other character will be like. Well, no, we move on from this. Like, so you kind of still get around it, you know. You know, you lampshade it a little bit. So, uh, right. whatever. Um, five out of ten. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. How to give it? Um, okay, okay. Yeah. So it's just a thing. I, I mean, I don't feel like I waste my time reading it or anything like that. But yeah, five out of ten. I wish. I, yeah. I wish. I, I wish. Uh, well, well, what a shame. Um, and I was going to actually hit you with a lightning round. Round, sorry. I want to ask you which book of his you see. Um. 
you 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 could picture being an actual movie and they kind of answered already with snow crash right. but um is it is it any other is, is there any other book um or any ones that you mentioned that you, yeah, you could okay, easily see become a, a a movie right as a movie there's a movie in theaters you can watch i'll say right snow crash for sure um seven eves i could see me in made a movie however only only the first two thirds of it right Not the last bit. Right, the first two thirds is, I think, excellent. Like, next up, flawless story, in my opinion. I absolutely love the ending of the second act in this. Um, and then he decided to go with this weird third, third act. That, again, it, it makes some sense, but it's so silly in its projection that I couldn't take it seriously. But I still was digging it for what it was. Eh? It was but it was more borderline, like, weird future fantasy, like, John Carter weird level <laughs> weirdness. Oh, but, John, John, Cap, John Carter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like so silly in its, in its, in its world building. I couldn't, I couldn't take it seriously, but it's like, eh, whatever. Um, but the first two thirds, you know what? I, I would, like, if I was making a, a Seven Eves movie, here yeah, I'd do it. At. You see, you remember Wally? Remember the end yes, of Wally? Yes. Yeah. Remember in the end of Wally, the credits were showing what it was, uh, their future? Mm-hmm. Remember that? Right. I would yeah, do that yeah, same. I so I'll just tell the story with the first two acts, tell that story out. You know, have it end there, and then the the credits will be this weird animation showing that future and the time jump now. Yeah. Oh, okay, so okay. I, I, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so fans of the book will be like, "Oh, yeah, that is what's going on in that that weird credit sequence." And the credit sequence will be this bizarre showing what happened in that future now. Because yeah, it's some weird like genetic delineation of humanity, and everybody derived itself from only a handful of people, and that's how people in the future evolve and. Head weird, head weird. Yeah, but, but but I imagine in the movie it just had to play some some catchy rap song or some EDM song yeah, yeah, and yeah. people just kind of kind of zone out of it now. Yeah, I forget who, who was the um who was the song in the end of Wally. It was Phil Collins or one of those guys, right? I forget um, who was he. I, I think it was. I can't remember. I mean, I love right. the movie, but I just can't remember the song to play the end credits. Whatever. Yeah. I, I remember. I remember really loving the end of Wally for, for that. Now that just that last sequence where you see everybody living in in harmony with the robots and nature at the same time. I was digging all of that. Yeah, it was a yeah. nice credit sequence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would do yeah. something like that. I yeah. do something like that, just like that. Whatever. Right. Yeah. Moving on. Okay, so moving on now, um, a film that I've been hearing a lot about. Um, you actually saw it before me, and I finally got the chance to check it out. Like right after yeah. work, Friday, Friday night, I, I was like, "All right, this is the only time I have to sit down to watch the last Black Man in San Francisco." Sat down, made sure my eyes was open, even though I was like tired as hell. Um, and I'll I'll share my my thoughts on on the film, right? But uh, before, right. well, I want you to do the the synopsis for this one, right? But uh, I had no idea what this movie was about. I just knew it was about you know two black guys, right, in San Francisco, you know, because I just guessing off the trip, uh, of the title, right, duh. But um, it was only like when when the film wrapped up, right, and it was when the credits were rolling and you were hearing the the great music. I'll get to that in a bit. I went up on the Wikipedia page and I was reading up just the history about it, and um, it's really quite fascinating though. So like the director of this, his name is um, Joe Talbot, right? He directed, produced this film. This is his debut, right? Like featured um, directorial debut. So um, this was a project that he had in his mind for like a long while. So him and the actor who is in uh, who is in this film, uh, who, who's his name is Jimmy Fields, right? So he's playing his real sort of a, a version of I assume of his real self. You know what I mean? In the right. film, and they are born. They were born, sorry, in um, in San Francisco, and they just really wanted to to tell this this um this story, right? 
So um, they shot a trailer for it, a preview trailer back in 2015, and then right. they launched this Kickstarter campaign to you know to 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 you know to build some money to gain some funds to actually shoot this film. Um, they also got some sponsorship from you know Sundance as well, and you know they just and they actually got um, some some talented actors some people I haven't seen in quite some time like I was surprised to see Tishina Arnold you know what I mean I haven't seen her in ages you know what I mean um you know from Martin who played uh, Pam you know kids act yeah, parents yeah um Danny Glover I heard that he was in that too um, I did but yeah. I kind of forgot after the after the fact uh Mike Epps I didn't expect to see him I saw yeah. Finn Whitrock in it you know what I mean a couple other familiar faces as well too but I was just amazed that you know with just these guys and how passionate they were of this story and you know they just held on to it for for um for you know such a long time now, you know what i mean it's not like well well we ain't get no money so yeah might as well just put this on a shelf this was a story right. that they wanted to make they got the funds they did the thing and before shame my thoughts on how they do the thing uh ricardo take it away what is the last black man in san francisco about right so jimmy uh jimmy played by jimmy yeah. um and his friend John uh, M- M- Montgomery. Um, he's played by Jonathan Majors. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Alan. I was thinking of. Right? Yeah. Sorry, M- no. Montgomery. Alan. Sir. Yeah. Right. 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 Two friends in 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 uh, San Francisco. They spend a lot of time with Alan's granddad. Um, just kind of chilling out by him, mostly killing time. But he um keep going back to this particular house, right in San Francisco. It's this this brownstone house. Um, that with a witch's brew hat on the side. That is kind of the big description of it. Mm-hmm. And he does really, really like this house. And you're not sure why. And he basically you learn um, eventually that his claim, what his claim is that his grandfather built the house in relatively recent memory. And he basically moved into the house, kind of a squatter's rights kind of thing. You ain't sure what's going on there. Well, you learn later what, what went down. And yeah, it's just him having to just make sense of life in San Francisco, relationship with his father and his aunt, and just growing up in in San Francisco. And well, yeah, can I explain why does do we really have that many black people in San Francisco? You know, you get yeah, into a lot yeah, of yeah. they get into a lot of stuff again. This is a common common theme in in United States, which is um, you know gentrification, moving people mm-hmm. out, you not being being able to afford um, housing. Um, land ownership, and well, you know, we the history of the United States have a lot of chicanery when it comes to owning land. Um, you know, anyone knows what redlining and blockbusting is, and all this thing, all these things kind of just in the ether and the, in the periphery of just a general human story about these two dudes just wanted to own a place, right? That's yeah. kind of the basic premise, but have a lot of deeper ideas going forward in terms of you know family and especially with his dad, and yeah, that's that's a quick quick run through without you know getting into too much of the story right we'll talk about now all right so so I'll, I'll allow me to start let me let me start to, to gush over this movie right so going in like i say I, I had no idea what to expect right but um let me just get the office out of the way right this is one of the best looking shows i've seen like in a long long while yeah. like cinematography i read any guy's name adam newport bearer it's oscar yeah. Woody, in my opinion like every shot in this film is just so impeccably you yeah. know crafted right. put together oh, even if it's yeah. even it's if they do a little, a little color correction here or there i mean that's fine but i mean just from framing for what's in yeah. the shot to the colors everything it's just 
so vibrant, so beautiful, like just every shot though. And I was just feeling the love. I was just feeling the passion that this guy had in telling this story. Even though, mind you, I didn't have an I didn't have a clue what was going on, right? Um I was just kinda letting the story flow and just kinda grow in front of my eyes now. And I imagine for some that might take them away from it, but I was patient with it, even though I was tired that Friday night. So at first I was like, all right, not too sure what the real story is about here, but I kind of get in a message. I kind of get in this idea or at least the, the portrait of San Francisco, the painting here, because, uh, well, in my, how, how I see it is like, this is not, it in a way it is what San Francisco is, but it's a kind of slightly exaggerated sort of altered version of what it actually is so it kind of reminds right. me of um of atlanta in a sense where it's atlanta right, right, but right. it's a kind of weird quirky take on atlanta right. life and how people you know maneuver there you know what i mean so i got that same feeling there's some absurdist humor here or there kind of catches it off guard there's this this running guy going on about the water being um poisoned um even a great moment with this uh, pastor who shows up standing on this um, this crate and he's just doing like these daily pre- right. um, sermons, you know what I mean? About how the white man is trying to get rid of black men and, you know, San Francisco's changed and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I also like like um, like later on in the film where it shows like him just getting up and like literally treating this like if it's just a day at work, you know what I mean? Like this is something that he feels he has to do and this is something that I loved about this film where everybody kind of feels like you know, this is who we are. This is our role. This is what we do. Um, even though it doesn't really amount to much. Um, I saw that in particular with um, these group of guys. Well, technically, they are the Greek chorus, quote-unquote, in the film. Right. At first, I was right. kind of wondering what their role was. But then later, I was like, oh, okay. Now I get So they, yeah, they yeah. I like to amplify the mood of the of the story, what's going on. So they'll always be kind of like cussing each other out, you know, your mama, the jokes and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. But it, it's, it's the point where but one character even watching them like, so, why are we doing this so, for? Like, why are we doing this? Yeah, like, so two purposes in that sense. Because they use, right, they, 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 they serve the outer universe Greek chorus role. Right. But you got the sense that they represented kind of like, you know, quote-unquote gangster life. Or yes, this, yes, yes. You don't want to live like this. I want to move out of black neighborhood kind of thing now. Yeah. Because, right. um, like, the way how they dress, you know, how they all tatted out and right. all that kind of stuff. It's very like that. And then, well, um, something happens to the chorus. I don't want to spoil what happens. But kind of just, right. you know, kind of put things in, in, in focus in terms of, you know, their life, you know, of just being a black man, you know, in that area. Um, yeah. But, yeah, just getting back to the absurdist stuff in a bit. Yeah, there are some moments, though, where, like, it just kind of watch it. Yeah, where it just kind of comes out of nowhere, like, what? You know what I mean? Like, some visual stuff, some side gags, and just how people kind of respond to it. And the ironic thing about it is that people just kind of normal to it, you know what I mean? Like, like if you saw the things that, you know, the, the main characters saw in it, you would just be kind of taken aback. But to them, it's just uh, just another day, right? Just another day in San um, San Francisco, right? So, is is but that that's something that um you have to kind of sit down and, and kind of process. At first, it's like, all right, I don't know if I should laugh for this or kind of cringe. But the same time, it's like, no, yeah. they they're making a point here. And this is another thing I love about um this this story here, this film in general, um, is that everything, even. The, the kind of quirky moments. Because, yes, there's some quirky moments. There's some weird attempts at humor, but they all work because they're all trying to say something. It's all about something. If it's not just about the city, it's about 
the Odyssey, sorry, it's about the characters and how they're dealing with stuff. Um, even right down to, to Jimmy and, well, Montgomery, right, who's played by Jonathan Majors, the way how they move is kind of weird, a little quirky, right? But it's kind of right. endearing in a sense, you know what I mean? Like, well, Jimmy in particular, he has this thing, um, this, well, I don't want to call it a, a side gag, but he's always with a, <laughs> with a skateboard, right? You know, this uh, guy in his 20s. And he had this great moment with uh, with his friend Montgomery, kind of like just running alongside him, you know what I mean? And then eventually they go on, they, they both like riding this um, skateboard and kind of looking at life while they're hearing the, the, uh, the preacher talk. And yeah, yeah. I, you know what? Just this montage of just people just walking and just how, how they pull it off. I mean, yes, I know they do some, some post production stuff, but I was like, but this this is looking real good. This is like the thought that they put into that, though. That's that's amazing. Though. I mean, just from a visual yeah. perspective, but also showing how life is there. You know I mean, so just from a visual, and then, well, that's what I touch on writing as well, too. Um, it's not your traditional sort of. You know, structure. It's very unconventionally way how the story is told. Kind of feels more like, you know, kind of like time passing, more like, okay, well, this happened today and this happens the next day. So it's not like a, uh, you know, a conventional narrative. But once again, yeah. you have to kind of let the story flow and then you'll just see what they're getting at, you know what I mean? And what I got out of it basically is just, you know, um, characters kind of feeling as if, yeah, this is how things are. I can't really do anything about it. You know what I mean? So that's where I, I kind of saw that with the Greek chorus. Like, you know, we're just going to be here. We're just going to be on the corner smoking or whatever it is, just talking shit. That's what we're going to do. And here we have these two guys who want better, right? And you see it in terms of how they treat this house. You know what I mean? Um, they sneak in. They try to paint up this, um, the house and whatnot, even though it's, well, at the time, it's owned by this wild, by this um white brother and sister, right? Well, elderly brother and sister, right? But at first, you're kind of wondering, like, why they will do this? It's so weird, you know what I mean? But then later on, you understand the, the relevance of the house to Jimmy. And then, well, you know, Montgomery just being a friend of his, just a, a really close friend of his, right? Almost like, yeah, yeah we almost like brothers. Like, I, I feel your pain. I, I want to, you know what I mean? I want to I wanna better myself, too. If we if we own this house, then great, you know what I mean? But there is conflict here, um, you know, and basically it's about the trials and tribulations of them just trying to own this house, you know what I mean? Well... Like, um, I don't want to get into what it is, right? Um, and then something else that you learn about the house um, in relation to, you know, Jimmy's family that this kind of, you know, this kind of stops the film basically. And then it just, it just brings this emotional heaviness to the film. Now. And um, the way how it ends, though, which also I don't want to spoil, really, really hit me. This really connect me. Um, yeah, connected really, me to, yeah. um, especially, you know, from somebody coming from, you know, from, from Trinidad, I don't know, where... You kind of see better and bigger opportunities elsewhere, outside of your hometown, outside of your home country. Yeah. So what do you do? Do you stay and stick it out, hoping that things get better? Or do you leave, you know what I mean? And just visually how they express that was just flawless, in my opinion. As far as flaws go, just a tiny, tiny flaw. Um, I would say pacing-wise, it's a little slow at times. Not too much, but... Right. And then again, that's just because I'm going in clueless, just not knowing what's going on. So you just kind of right. waited for things to happen, but then things kind of play out. You're like, huh, okay. But when you think about it, this really play it. I was like, oh, now, now that's what they're getting at. Um, the performances, uh, well, from you know both Jimmy Falls and Jonathan Majors, I thought were great as well. You know, it's that kind of quirky kind of style to the way how they act and things. It's just so distinct the way how the characters are. You know what I mean? They're very unique. You could tell it's almost like they are 
part of San Francisco, but it's almost like San Francisco kind of moved on and they just like they're in their own little niche, you know, in their own little world, and they just don't want to get out of it, you know what I mean? It kind of has that kind of feel, that, that sort of weird fish out of water, even though they, they, they do reside in, in San Francisco, it has that kind of way about them now. Um, the support the characters at all are great, um, even though you don't see them that much, they do add a lot to the to the story. Um, a case in point, Mike Epps, you know, this guy who just living in a car, you know what I mean? And it's just like, there's no real reason why, but he just prefers to just live there. You know what I mean? Uh, we have yeah. Tichina Anal who plays um, Jimmy's, um, who plays Jimmy's aunt. She moved out basically, but she kind of sees, you know, that 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 driving him to just, you know, to own something, to own something that 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 you really feel is is your thing. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. it's always like she kind of tell him, you know, come live with me. You know, but it's like no, she see that that fire in him. No, she see that yeah, this house is what he wants now. Um, also, I uh, really like the relationship with um, with uh, the grandfather, you know, played by by Dan Glover. You know, what I mean, somebody who kind of feel like he just still surviving. You know, basically that's his character, just kind of still surviving, even though well, his generation kind of like non-existent. You know, what I mean, um, what else I can say? Yeah. So visually, this is just some of the best filmmaking I've seen in a long while, though. Just every shot so impeccably just crafted and put together. The music, though, I thought was great, you know what I mean? Um, didn't expect it to be, like, classical and jazzy, you know, a lot yeah, of, like, right. and all that. It, it really did remind me of, like, a, like a Spike Lee joint, you know what I mean? Just how right. emotional the, the, the music was. And last but not least, uh, before we get to your thoughts, another show this, this kind of reminded me of, because um, I didn't know this was a debut, right? Until, like, after the fact. Remind me of a of a little show here, um, called. All right, this is me just going into film nerd mode now. Uh, Kill of Sheep. This was a film from 1978. It was directed by Charles Burnett, right? And just the style of it, how unique it was. You know what I mean? It was very low budget, very kind of like sort of cinema verity in a sense. But you know, he was showing these real characters in um in Elliot, I think it was just yeah. in what's actually just um, trying to survive. And oh yes, well the way how he shot it was more like Italian neorealism, the way how he did it, right? And you know, like you look at it and find it kind of weird, you know what I mean, just from a visual perspective. But like when you go deep into the story, it's like, okay, now I get now I get why the style is that way, why the story is told this way, why it's just like a daily life kind of vibe, that kind of thing, you know what I mean? And while I was watching this show here, I was getting that same feeling where it's not your traditional American film. It's done in this different way, not too different, not too unique. But just in a right. very special way. Like everything that you see, even stuff that you don't understand that much or just kind of takes you out of it a little bit, feels like it needs to be there. You know what I mean? From the Greek chorus to the to the weird visual cues, you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. Everything feels like it fits in this sort of like alternate world that, yeah, kind of still feels real and organic. So, yeah, I mean, I talk long enough about it. Yeah, I, I really love this show. Though. This is... Hands on one of the best movies I've seen this year. I don't know if this is going to be top five, folks. I can't say that for sure. But as far as this year goes, yeah, this is definitely one of the year's best movies. So, Ricardo, agree or disagree? Uh, dude, you pretty much covered it. I mean, thank you. It's not a lot of show as much, though. But I thought you would have come over to a little bit more deeper, like something I didn't get. But, uh, but yeah, no, continue. I, I, um, you no, know, it's one of those movies I have, to, I have to give a couple rewatches because it was stuff yes. that I, I, I'll admit when I when I watched it, I was I myself was kind of out it and a little tired, but I was just following it enough, and it wrote me in enough 
for me to enjoy it. And I was just thinking of it like in the, in the content. Because really, I was expecting it to be more just like blind spotting. That was a, I was expecting right. that. Where it was like raw emotion and oh, right. but it, it's more urban. Like this is, right, right. you know. Uh, right. We didn't we didn't really get that. We just got, got something a little more subtle, uh, a little more laid back. But it was great. That last sequence involving the whole theater play thing was great. That is where it, it really started to build up. Yeah. Um, but what, what I, I just appreciated is just, um, yeah, holy shit, this man just know how to shoot San Francisco itself. Um, that, that, you know, you know, with San Francisco have a, a kind of mix between a kind of, it, it have very open spaces, but you could also get like a kind of claustrophobic vibe at the same time with the, yes. with the, with the hills and then everything road. And it, you got that with this and you could tell that you use like, um, these, these, you could you use a long lens. You could see, you know, I got all these great shots on use. Again, cinematography was just excellent. Shot composition, stuff like that. Now, um, yeah, just from a just from a world building emotional standpoint, and as the main character, um, you know, you really really feel for this character. You know, in terms of just him, just wants to just well have control of his life and all these manipulative forces. You know, you know, getting into a situation, and then you know the stuff with the dad. I thought was really heartbreaking and unfortunate. Um, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we forgot I, to mention um, his. His dad actually, well, Jimmy's dad actually um, appears in this. Well, sorry, that is real dad, of course. But yeah, right. his dad is a character in this um, in this film. Right, right. Um, but what did do with it? I, I didn't. Um, what it did with that? I, I, that I didn't expect either. I thought that was kind of interesting, um, especially with that relationship and what, what. Well, it had a big reveal involved in that now. And yeah, this this was it's a solid piece. Um, very very modern take on on something that should be old but it's just such a great um take on these ideas and you know you have to be aware of it or what is to, to to just think about well just the idea of just owning your own place just that that idea and uh, that freedom a lot of people don't appreciate it it's have a great moment this is a scene that I, I i saw before before watching the movie there's that short moment of you're not allowed to hate it if you don't love it right yeah yeah the city and you know just a love letter to the city of san francisco itself um san francisco again is one of these cities you don't think about black people living in it's one of those things that the united states have same thing with portland oregon because right. well if you get into the history of the city it was designed like that <laughs> it was you know it, it's a it's a place that is very ostensibly liberal but was very designed to be quite conservative historically um and have a lot of you're, you're going to see that in the history of, of a lot of America, especially when America want to. If America want to have a very frank discussion about race, this is what you talk about. It's not about burning crosses and and you know lynchings. Not just that. You have a whole history involving urban planning and who live in where and why and whatnot. And that is this got into that in a very subtle, subtle way and not being didactic, but just a solid character piece, right? That's why yeah. it worked, you know, yeah, him, yeah. like stuff, the stuff with him begging for the house and him saying he go pay off no matter what and these kind of things. Little, that, little, that, was, little, that was a great scene, by the way. Like, I yeah, really yeah, film there. Little yeah. things you're seeking, little, little treads, little treads of, of the logic. Um, great movie. I, yeah, this, this, yeah, this thing, eh? not only it may make best of the year, but it might make top 50, <laughs> might. I, that, I see that too. I see that too. But yeah. just like you said, I need to rewatch yeah. it. So like, like currently yes. folks, this is on my list. Like I have it as a working right. list right now. Right. You know, subject to change. But I really do right. want to see this film here make it to the top fifty. Um right. and mainly because this is a first time merger. This is a dictatorial yes. debut and he just knocked it out of the park, Joe Talbot. Right. Like I really can't wait to see what he does next way. Like this man could yeah. be, you know, like the future no, like no, this, you're this the future a... of African American uh, filmmaking right here. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's about, uh, again, the Barry Jenkins vibe from him. Uh, you know, it's that, that type of film. You can have, yeah, this is the part of, like, okay, I, my thing with, with talking about race and race stuff is that there's only so much you could do in a certain perspective. And, you know, United States in, and especially American filmmaking only kind of created the spikely approach to that, right? They kind of pigeonhole us a lot with that. Very, very few filmmakers other than Spike Lee, you know, control that dynamic and that narrative, right? For the most part. Right. Well, well, Charles Burnett, before that, because he was doing stuff in the 70s, well, he was kind of like the one to, to kind of start it in a way, but that was well, his style, I meant, you know what I mean? All right, well, I meant in the popular consciousness. Like when you right, think right, of, exactly, because yeah, Spike Lee's more popular cinema, um, exactly. Charles Burnett is more like, you know, I want to say independent, but more like art cinema right. crowd. That right. Kind of thing. right. But yeah, because but Spike Lee control. I'll say he controlled the narrative in terms of how you think about this stuff. You know, when you right. think right. black filmmaker, that's who you think of. You don't think of John Singleton. You don't think of thing. You just think of Spike Lee. And I would like to see new filmmakers do that without it controlling the situation too much or being too quote unquote popular in this way. Because that that is I'm sorry to say it, but popularity is not a white people thing or a black people thing, just popularity is just, well, you have to have a kind of greenness to your ideology. And you just end up making this, this schlock. That's why people hate popular cinema, right? Even though I don't, don't, don't talk popular cinema, obviously something is lost. Mm-hmm. And modern films need to take that. That's why, look, my boy Barry Jenkins, that's why, look, that's why I don't stand John Peel as much as I do. Right? John Peel not really being in the heat while somebody like Barry Jenkins exists. If Barry Jenkins didn't exist, I would have been standing John Peel more. I said this before. Right, right. Yeah. Same thing for this dude. I'm so, I so, I'm so glad this dude exists. I really hope this guy, this, this guy gets more money to do projects and to talk about things. That's not just a black thing, but it's at the same time you're making it. It is a black experience because of poverty and whatnot, and you make a story. Right. A story. Right. Uh, so one more thing before we before we get to rating, right? People sure. have been giving this show like some Oscar buzz, right? Like I already said, cinematography. Yeah. This, this, yeah. this is Oscar worthy. But yeah. you, do you do you see this? Being nominated for Oscar though, because I mean, like we praised um, um, if Beat Street could talk last year, uh, well, right. we saw it early, and I think we saw it early this year, but look, look what happened, right? One best actress, right? Sorry, best supported actress. So, right. uh, do you see this? Well, although for me, I see it with the more technical stuff, but do you see this being in the, in the um Oscar run next year? Um, possible. I mean, it, you know, Oscar is one of those things that kind of weird and, and, and finicky because at the one end, you could see it, Oscar has been, I would argue, very, very heavily poisoned by big money. Um, and again, look, it's Oscar, so ever, like they were always kind of poisoned by big money and, and highfalutin crap. But at the same time, they really take, take, take care to give genuinely great um, projects. It's, it's, you know, shot in the sun. So I, yeah, I could see that happening. I mean, but yeah, yeah I mean, look, we've been in an age where freaking Marvel movies getting nominated and it's like, uh, you know, they'll they be nominated to get into that debate, right? I, I yeah. don't know. We can debate about that. So, whatever. Right. At this point, you know, just to get into that, the art thing is that at this point, we kind of should try to transcend the paradigm and, you know, you shouldn't have to worry about it as much. But, you know, you, you still have that innate sense of, yeah, they shouldn't really be nominated because, because it's this super popular thing. You ain't really sure. Yeah, debatable. Yeah. Right. All right, but but written wise though, um, I will give this a decent four mm-hmm. and a half out of five, man. This is yeah. hands on one of the best shows I've seen this year. I was so surprised, you know, visually and this story wise, what this what this story, um, what this film had had to say. Now, you know what I mean? Joe Talbot, keep doing your thing, man. You re- you knock it out the park here for this yes. one. I hope that more people see this and get inspired to tell really great stories as well too, and not just limit themselves to you know 
oh, I can't do this, you know what I mean? Because we have no money, you know what I mean? This this right here is inspiration, you know what I mean? And before Ramalon, yes, this is the truth. Go see this film. Ricardo, what's your rating for the last black man in San Francisco? I, I, yeah, I get us I get us a really, really high score. Um, for me, I like an eight eight point five out of ten, nine right. out of ten. More close to nine, if anything. Um yeah, again, the flaws, not the flaws, it have a couple of issues. It's mostly to do with like just production, low budget stuff, right? It's kinda like moonlight once over in a sense, right? Where right. It, it's just held back by, oh, we just need a couple hundred thousand again to, you know, smooth that that crack out. That's about <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, exactly. But uh, that, as as a, as I was as a project itself, I just I didn't expect this to enjoy this the way it did. I was expecting, I was I was I was really expecting uh, blind spotting all over again, but in San Francisco. And it's like no, no, it's it's a totally different beast entirely. And I didn't expect to enjoy this as much as I did. Um, yeah, yeah, one of my favorites so far for the year. Right. Okay, so now we're gonna get to some Netflix stuff, right? So. Uh... You saw the Invader Zim special. Um, like I said at the very beginning, um, I'm not on the Invader Zim train, so never right. watch episode. I, I hope to remedy uh, to fix that soon enough. But um, you know, take it away. What was this special about? All right. So let us talk about just a quick history run through of my take on, on my history of Invader Zim. Um, I wasn't into it either at the time because again, much like what Rocco, Rocco was early to mid nineties. So I was, you know, at home watching Nickelodeon. I kind of grew up, kind of left high school. You know, by the time Invaders, Invaders came, debuted in 2001. By then, I was just now starting A-levels. And right, right. Then it, it's a show that I just, just kind of ignored. I just kind of stopped watching. You know, all the things, around the age of 16, I just kind of dropped all the cartoons, right? You know, and wrestling, I stopped watching. Well, wrestling just started to genuinely suck back then anyway, so it didn't matter. Right. But, so say, my you said I get into more like you start watching more like edgy anime and stuff like that, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, well, that's that's what naturally happened. Eh? You, you want to just drop the kiddie bullshit. It's like, hey, that's for kids. That bullshit, right? And you just drop it. And I stopped watching wrestling. I stopped watching a bunch of shit. I started watching Bill Maher. Real time ah, with Bill Maher. Okay, okay, okay. You know, look, I'm <laughs> political now, and right, yeah. all that crap. And um, I never got into the show pussy, and it's only like. Within about three years of the show coming out, then my friend said the show was brilliant and hilarious. And he said, that is my buddy from, uh, from A-Levels. Uh, shout out to Luke. Uh, he was like, yeah, dread. this show's so real, real dread. And I was like, I never give it a shot. And then usually sometime you just find some time in a summer or something like that. And usually you will binge some anime you never watch. Um, and that summer, it was binging. I was binging all the manga for Berserk. Binging... Um, Death Note. <laughs> ah, yeah, and, ah, yeah, it's classic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then binging Invasion. And I didn't expect this shit to be so funny. And I just want to caught up with the show and the, the continuity and what it was. And everything was just a great take on aliens and sci-fi. And um, it's genuinely a hilarious show. And yeah, it was much like last week. It was kind of the rock of its time. So to see it come back, I can imagine nostalgia. Much like how that had nostalgia for the 90s, this has nostalgia for the early 2000s. And ah, so said okay, so, okay. <laughs> so said so done. They just basically did, did you know they evolved it in all the right ways and, and just gave us a great, hilarious, straightforward plot to it. And well, the story is uh it picks up almost immediately after the events of well, I can't remember not immediately, it's, it's some time after the, the ending of Zim. And well, yeah, um kind of not surprised. It's similar to like what you said with um the Rocco special from last week. Right, too much, right? A little bit of time passed. 
they don't do the nostalgia thing or any kind of reference to nostalgia. It's nothing like that. I, I wouldn't go as far as saying it as good as the Rocco Rocco special. Um, but this was just just a, a, a story, just a good story about invaderism and just it just felt like a, a great final episode like what a final episode should have been then because the show was i can't remember the show was cancelled but it, it was kind of cut short um for what it was and yeah so this show is called enter the floppers um that's it yeah you learn what a floppers is um okay zim, <laughs> yeah zim is uh he comes back into the into the play where where the well main character dib he what he does what the main character dib is that dib you know, as far as he's concerned, Zib went Zib. I'm sorry, Zim went missing for a long period of time, and then what? What Dib was just obsessed with Zim. Because remember, he, the whole point is him proving that he's an alien, right? Uh, or proving that he exists. And what he did was just he just had cameras on his house for years. He couldn't find him, and he didn't know where he was. Just he had cameras training on his house and all the places that he frequents on him for years. So when he when you re- reveal what happens to Dib by doing this, is actually hilarious because he just. He just get disgusted and stink and eaten, and he just stayed in his room the entire time at the show. How he turned out, just staying in his chair and and getting old, and you know looking disgusted. And then basically the plot you learn is that well, Zim comes back, but you find out why, and it's a really really silly and stupid reason. And then you find out the real um, plot to the storyline is that Zim contacts his superiors, and you find out his superiors sent him to Earth. Because they don't want to, want to have to deal with him. So they lie to him, telling him that, you know, we'll go to Earth and we'll come to take over Earth. And you realize that Earth completely out of the way of where they want to go anyway. So it was just a big distraction because they just think Zim is an asshole and they hate him. <laughs> and he now comes up with this insane plan now to basically t- t- literally teleport the whole of Earth um, in the way of the invading Armada and to prove, oh, well, I could, you should invade Earth anyway and this is how and why. And that causes the existence of the floppers. And that's it. That's all I'll tell you about the plot. Right. And it's, it's not as meta or not as self-referential or not as self-analyzing um, anal- as Rocco's Modern Life. Rocco's Modern Life was about nostalgia and change and this thing. This is not that. This is just you're getting a great, like what a final episode should be. Or, you know, all usually right. they'll like, just give us a movie. It's a great movie. That's it. And it was yeah, uh, it, so it's it's movie length then. I, I assume it was just an hour or something like that. Yeah, a little yeah, it's a little over hour if I remember correctly. And okay. yeah, and I, I just I just thought this was really funny and hilarious. Is this is the same humor they they go on back to um you know it 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 doesn't have the same technique humor animation techniques, but it has the same style and approach they do with it. Um they have a great, great sequence coming out to the end involving multiple universes and what they do with that. It's really, really funny and well done. Um and yeah, I, I just thought I just that's that's what it is. It's just a straightforward, just a yeah, it's invaderism. Like you get back invaderism back in back for what it was. And that's it. I can't really say any more other than well, if I, unless I want to spoil the story. Um, you know, everybody comes back, Gaz comes back, um, you know, that's the sister, you know, the dad, girl, which is the funniest that the robot, which is the funniest fucking thing ever. He's hilarious in this. Um, the moose comes back. All the characters and side characters that they bring back, they bring back everything, and they just just cater to the fans and just really made it made it work. And I didn't expect this to be so good, and it was. Yeah, I gave it a good score, like I put a seven out of ten. Um, okay, cool, really well cool. Done, very funny. Um, yeah, dig it for what it was. Nothing else, nothing else to say. Right. Let's go see it. All right. Well, now now I have Invaders in my list of um, yeah, TV shows to see. 
Yeah. Um, I, what I would say though, I don't know if you would really appreciate it if you're not familiar with the show. Um, no, no, no. I, I think, mean, well, I have to watch the show first before I right. jump into it. I'll, I'll make the time. Don't right. worry. <laughs> but I, I, but I, I think you can jump into it as is. It, it's fine. Um, in, in my opinion, because it, it doesn't, it does humor in such a way where it's accessible enough. So it's like you are just have to get into this guy, this guy's style of humor. I forget the creator's name, John, John something, Jordan Vasquez. All right. Yeah, first time, I hear, first time I hear about him actually. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. All right. So, so I have that on my list of shows to check out, right? And um, right. there's another show that I have to add on my list of shows to check out, but I'll I'll get to that when I reach into sex stoplets, right? So, moving on. Yeah. Uh. Well, new up, new kind of interesting news. Uh, He-Man is coming out for Netflix. Yay! Uh, <laughs> yeah, new He-Man. I'm sure what's going on here as well. It's called Masters of the Universe. Um. It's not a follow-up from the 2002 series, uh, so I don't think it's that. But, you know, the, the new She-Ra has been going quite well, in my opinion. I, I've been enjoying it. I think we did a review of that recently. And yeah, the big plot thing that they opened up with in the end of the last She-Ra season could totally open up the Master of the Universe anyway. What they went with that and what they did there, I was like, oh, cool. Well, they could totally open up with that. And then so said, so done. Um, they announced the He-Man. So I was like, all right, cool. Um, I was pretty excited um, to, to re-update that stuff, you know. Because, you know, usually, with, you know, we haven't had a good weird out there bunker space thing. And, and Shira has been doing a good job holding that thought, right? You know, especially with the advent of Steven Universe and these kind of things. It's like, yeah, you just need a new voice to tell these stories all over again. And everybody familiar with the, with the, with the license and the property, right? So, right. yeah, cool. Yay. Okay, well, I, 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 I'm definitely excited for that. Now I have an yeah. excuse to actually check out Shirani, the Princesses of Power. Hopefully, yeah, season yeah. three will tie in. Well, sorry, will um tie into you know the season one of of Masters, Masters of the Universe. But but like right. I said last last week, actually, I, I was hearing about something that was coming up. Like I assumed that it was a movie, a feature, a live action feature film, maybe a remake of right, the right. You know, the cult classic, you know, Dolph Lundgren, you know what I mean? Remember that shit? Right. But um, yeah. early it's a Netflix show, so, you know, even better. It's, it's a cartoon, right? So great. Yeah, it's animated. Like, I, 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 when I, because when I saw she was out, I was like, yeah, well, why did I just build from this? Like, why, what, why was the point of the going to the like, live action thing? So that's why I was not too surprised by this, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, the reason being is because we've had incarnation after incarnation of He-Man, but none of she Ever since the right. 80s, right? So right, I think right. it makes sense for them to start off with Shira, you know right. what I mean? Right, right. I mean, and the last He-Man wasn't half bad in my opinion. That, that was the, the one in the early 2000s. I think 2002 it came out. I remember like it being a solid show. Good world building, you know, you know, good animation. Just, you know, just pretty a good, good, smarter take. I mean, way better than the 90s version, which was fucking oh, oh terrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my oh. God. That 90s version. Yeah. That 90s yeah. version still haunts me to this day. Yeah, the team song so haunts me yeah. to this day. Every, I swear to God. That was so bad. Like, wow. How yeah. not to do him. Anyway. Yeah. I will, well, un- unfortunately, didn't get around to watching season two of Mindhunter. Um, so I will I will just fill in on what went down. Uh, without spoiling sure. anything, of course, right? So uh, luckily for me, I recapped the first season. And um, I actually enjoyed it. Way more than I did the, the first time. I can't remember the rev- the, the rating I gave it um the last time, but just watching it over again, I really said appreciate you know the show itself, you know, what I mean what it was what it was, not trying to be, but what it was, um the directing, even though you could tell, yes, um David Fincher did direct the 
I believe is the first two and the last two episodes of the 10 episode run of season one. But you could see his influence throughout this this show, um, especially with the sort of like shadowy low light interior shots. You know what I mean? Always has this kind of neo noirish kind of feel to things. Um, yes. But you know, just from not just from a technical perspective, but the acting, especially the 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 writing, or the writing to me is the strongest thing about this whole show here. Um, the writing, especially with dialogue, is so so well done in my opinion. Um, like every line of dialogue, you could tell, like they just put like some thought and effort into it. Though. So, um, without me gushing even further, so for those who don't know what Mind Hunter is about, right? So it's for me, I call it a psychological drama, right? Like you could technically call it a thriller, you could call it that kind of crime drama, but I see it more as psychological drama. Um, reason re- reason being is. Well, as the title kind of suggests, they go deep into the minds of, well, you know, serial killers, um, especially like the wave of them, you know, all these like serial killings that took place during like the, from the late 60s, uh, you know, to the 70s onward, right, in the United States. So uh, we introduced uh, two fictional um, FBI agents, right, um, Holden Ford, who's played by Jonathan Groff, and uh, Bill Tench, my favorite character in the whole series, by the way, who's played by Holt Mc, uh, Mc Kalani, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, why yeah. he's not nominated for Emmy or Golden Grove is beyond Golden Globe. Sorry, is is beyond me. Guy, just think he he's just the best character, best actor in this whole show period, right? But yeah, so they're part of something called the Behavioral Science Unit, right? Something that's been like newly established, basically, right, by the FBI, and their job basically is just to to interview serial killers, right? Well, serial killers who have been incarcerated, right? So they go around, well. Whilst they go to different police divisions in different states and, you know, just more or less educate, um, not not FBI agents, but just educate the police on, you know, well, the who, why and how when it comes to apprehending a suspect or how to deal with a suspect, you know, mean when they're in a situation. Um, so while they're doing that, they, they visit different prisons around the, the, the country and they're just interviewing these um, these these killers right and even do coin the free serial killer for like the first time like that right. was nothing until yeah, like that, the that, yeah, late exactly. 70s right because i remember about it the idea was just for the first time apply i think it was just basically applying psychology to criminology for the first time right right exactly instead of just treating it as oh he just went around and killing people just right, because right. they realize that there's patterns involved and you know there's a certain right. there's a certain mentality that goes into it right now, the thing right. with me and when it comes to, like, you know, just the the portrayal of the serial killer in, um, in film, it kind of thing that, oh, it's just, so you're telling me that everybody, like, all serial killers will go back and do the same thing over and over and over. Like, I, right. I made that, that criticism with the, um, that, um, that Netflix film, which was about Ted Bundy, where I said, well, the courtier when he was in this, um, in this, um, buggy, whatever it was, this Volkswagen. So why you'll go back in that same Volkswagen when you know it have police kind of watching you, you know, you know what I mean? So just that whole thing about this killers doing the same habits over and over, was this something I never really got, I never really quite wrapped my head around, right? But in this one here, what I like, well, this season one I talk about here, what I like is that the killers that they do, they do um, interview, they have, they have personalities though, they are different, they're not just oh, I'm a killer because I did this. You know what I mean? There's a certain mentality that goes to in, in each of these um each of these characters, or each of these serial killers, right? All of which are, are true characters, right? Um, by the way, just, just letting you all know, right? They're all 
true real people that existed, right? It's just that the FBI agents and other characters are fictional, right? But you know they're all composites of other agents and police that yeah, yeah, that, that is typical fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the kind of thing, right? Um one of which, well, <laughs> I would say probably one of the standout characters in this too, uh is Ed Kemper, who's played excellently by Cameron Britton, right? You know, probably one of the most legendary um, serial killers in, in U.S. history. And just the yeah. stuff that he did, just a lot of, like, necrophilic stuff was just really, really messed up, though. But the way how he's portrayed, though, was excellent. It's like, and this is, this is to me, is like the beauty of the show, too, is that they're not, like, evil monsters, you know what I mean? They, they move kind of casual, you know? they move normal, they just treat it like, yeah, I did it, but this is why I do it, and you know, there's a kind of, there's a kind of truth to it. There's a kind of sense, there's a kind of logic to everything that they do, and you really got that with Ed Kemper, especially the way how um, Cameron, you know, plays that role. Now, you know what I mean, so it's like they took the best out of um, of science and lambs. Like they, like they, 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 they watch it. They understood the whole relationship between you know um, Hannibal Lecter and um you know um jodie foster's character and whatnot and yeah in a way it is silence of the lambs you know what i mean <laughs> even right now two characters having to hunt down serial killers but in this case right, yeah, yeah. Taking I mean, all the knowledge yeah, yeah. and they learn and using that and applying it right but i'll get to the other stuff that i love about the show with season two right so i don't want to waste any time so season two yes follows right after the aftermath of season one where right. um holden well basically they was just sets up this kind of fascination that he had you know with this whole serial killer thing especially with the interviews that he had with ed kemper right and richie point that he visited him at this uh hospital well in in this particular prison and ed kind of attacked him but actually didn't really attack him he just kind of he just embraced him actually i just said something so basically what he was trying to say is that well you kind of in my own you kind of in, in my head now you in my will now i got you this close into my head and that yeah, just freaked yeah. out. Um, oh. yeah, that just freaked out Holden. You know, getting this panic attack, and where season two begins is where he's been hos- hospitalized for some time for having these panic attacks. So now he's let go. Um, he has to take Valium on a regular basis, and um, even this new hire up in the FBI who kind of um, and well, the one who pretty much was running the show kind of get kicked out because he well they kind of blame um, Holden for it. But basically, his methods started to become more and more controversial, I would say. Like, he was yeah, yeah. trying to, to get the information out of them, but it was to the point that it's kind of putting the FBI in a bad light, right? So, that's it. Bill, if you remember, is a family man, you know. Um, well, along with his wife, he has an adopted son. I believe he's like about five right. or six of it is. And in this, in this season here, they kind of explore the fact that there may be something off with him mentally. I don't want to say what it is. But okay. because, you know, he's adopted, right? So it's like, well, we don't know who his parents was. And now he did something or he was involved in something that kind of involves a rash of attacks. Well, a rash of killings, basically. And now they're kind of wondering why his response is like this. Is it that because he's young, he doesn't understand these things? Or is it just, you know, certain emotional or, you know, social elements that kind of making him just react? kind of weirdly right so you have this kind of back and forth where bill has to deal with this thing and you know his wife just you know um and i'm glad i didn't play it off in this cliche way you know usually in those shows you always have like a, a cop who you know who's doing he's he's on the road he's doing all this work and all that stuff and he doesn't have time for his wife and the wife taking it out on him so 
they kind of do that, but they do it in a little bit in a in a um, in a more intelligent kind of way. Where yeah. yeah, you know, it's because of what's going on with their son. You know what I mean? So it's like you're not there to really be there for him, and maybe that's the reason why he's kind of detached from you know from life now. You know what I mean? That that kind of thing. So um, they're still doing the the um, they're still doing the interviews. Um, they actually do interview the man himself, Mr. Charles Manson. And the right. guy who played him, by the way, I thought was near perfect in my opinion. He right. was just such is it, is it the performance is great. Quick question. Is he the same guy who's playing Charles Manson in um What's Upon a Time in Hollywood? Um I think so. I th- wait wait, okay. listen, one, one sec, I one sec. One sec. Let me find out if it was actually the same guy or not. Hold on, huh? Hold on. Just do a little googling of my own. But yeah, I've seen that comparison a lot, though, actually. Right. Oh, well, shit, actually, is the same guy? It's the same guy, okay, okay. Yeah, that was yeah, okay, okay. Somebody said in one time in Hollywood, somebody, I remember somebody mentioned that how he was playing somebody else. And then when I saw mine, I was coming up, I was like, is it the actor? Because I find it too easy. <laughs> Like yeah 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 well, but but how, how I got confused how I got confused sorry is that um well the guy his name is Demon Herman right who played the role Brady right. Hunter we haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet he right. did not ask Tarantino for any advice or any tidbits on how to play the same character right. in Mindhunter just like same 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 guy but just two right. I assume different portrayals of the same person so, which is so, funny so, but it's, we, it's awesome. So we have a Fincher, Fincher Tarantino crossover universe thing going on here, though. You know, <laughs> I know, you know, as you say that, like, I, I wouldn't mind seeing them actually collab with something. You know, yeah, I mean, some, sure. somehow. I know Tarantino going to want yeah. to take, you know, um, directing rights. But I know right. him and Fincher had to do something together, man. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah but, you know? but you're right. You know, the, the guy does play Charles Manson both shows. I thought that he was great at it. And just his weird logic and everything is just like, well, yeah. I didn't tell. I didn't. I didn't tell them to go and kill these people. Right. You know? oh, they, they're they're your children. They're your children. Yeah. So I, yeah. I just tell them, do this. The, man, <laughs> the, the, the unfortunate thing about Manson, the history of that is that we we, we always think of Manson as being a hippie, and yes. you know he was the, he was the dark side of the hippie movement, and this was what killed the hippie movement. And I was like, no, the guy was like a he was like a white supremacist, <laughs> like. He was not a typical like Nazi yokel slackjaw type, but you know, you ever read the, the, the stuff he's talking about? That helter skelter shit. <laughs> like I, I well, they mentioned it here, but um, I really do need to read up on it though, because um, yeah, yeah they, they do mention helter skelter a lot. That's, well, that's, especially with that. I think with a lot of these um, that's the thing with a lot of these like like weird out there people, right? When they come up with a big manifesto or something like that, like they don't nothing they're saying out there, you know? like the actual hard metaphysics of what they're talking about tend to be the out there shit but like when it what they what they boil down to what the subtext is is always be like some normal shit now and as always as always getting to this argument when i'm talking about politics that powerful systems need the crazy people to defend it <laughs> and then, right. then when the crazy people get take down they'll be like well no it's not part of that that, that person was crazy and they just get to just you know kick, kick them out of the system now but mm. it's like no that if that person didn't exist, you wouldn't have been power in the first place. Like I was always like the point of that, that you know, power power needs crazy. Whatever. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Move. All right. Yeah. Well, well, good point there. 
But yeah, yeah, so they do interview him. Um, uh, Ed Kemper does show up again, and essentially it's like, okay, so basically they they touching on um on two sets of killers basically, right? So, um, the first one being the BTK killer. Um, I really need to read up on um his, the history behind him, right? And okay. um, but what but what they do is that like while he's going around doing his stuff. They would see certain patterns, but then while they, they will just go and interview certain people, or once they get clearance to do all this kind of stuff, right? And they'll just kind of zero in on certain aspects, like, okay, well, all right, well, if the B2K do that, then I mean, well, you know, that kind of thing, right? that whole kind of connect the dots kind of thing, so they could trap him basically, right? But the real story, um, and they kind of get into it in the, la- um, in the second half of the series, is on the Atlanta murders of um, 1979 to 1981, right? They call it the right, Atlanta right. child murders, which I didn't even yeah. know about till after the fact. Yeah, yeah. And they actually make it clear at I'll, I'll know, near the with... end, well, in the, in the finale, sorry, that they still have not been solved. Right. Because I know, I know it was like it was mostly black victims, right? Yes, yeah. They, they, they were right. black, right? And right. Um, at, at first, well, well, sorry to cut here, sorry to cut here, but yeah. they were blaming it. Well, there was a, a guy, a black man who was involved, right? And right. because I went in blind, not knowing about this stuff, you know, you're thinking, oh, it's him. He do this. He he killed all right. these children. He had the perfect alibi and all that kind of stuff. But then they only kind of convicted for for two murders, right? And it's for for right. kids who were roughly older than you know the the ones who were being killed. But yeah, they were right. black people, and you know, a majority of the people in Georgia were kind of blaming it on the KKK. They thought, well, oh, is a right. white man do yeah. it? You know what I mean? So they right. could not get but- behind the fact that a black man could be the one who do it. Right, because what, yeah, what I was remember, what I was familiar with the story is that a big at the time it was just a, a good economic period that was good for Atlanta at the time. Like you know, Atlanta kind of going through a good renaissance now, but then there, there was also a strong renaissance, and that just shattered that um, because it was never solved. You know, it had no no way to protect or deal with people like that, and he was wondering if it was that kind of terrorism going on. Yeah, I know, and a familiar story. Yeah, go ahead. Right, um, and also before I forget, um, the. Okay, so this is something that they did from from since the first season, right? So they keep like a majority of the the episodes, right? And they do the same thing here. Would start with a character in Kansas, right? This sheepish looking guy. He's work at EDT. He married, but there's something weird with him. Something always yeah. off, right? And it'll always start each episode kind of showing what he does, like about a little minute before they jump into the the ty- the opening credits. Now. They do that again with the same character, and then you learn something else about him that's just as creepy and messed up as the the first season. Right? The first season, thinking, "Oh, he's he 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 out to kill somebody," right? Although you never see him do it, but I was getting the sense that maybe he had it in his head, and he just kind of dismiss it, which kind of explain in the end why he just threw all these pages with drawings and stuff like that in the trash. Maybe he did right. it, or maybe he just kind of figured, nah, this is not for me. Right. But then you learn something kind of weird and messed right? up about him here. Sir? Yeah, there's a guy for a season that they just keep alluding to, but in a really show what he was up to, right? Right, right, right. He he, right. he comes back again. And right, right. Slight little spoiler, they still haven't really explained who he is. Okay. But, 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 well, I just read up that David Fincher plan to, to make more seasons of this, right? So, right, yeah, right. Let's, let's go into the 80s now and just pick more killers to. You know, right, talk yeah. about, right. But um, the, well, I probably when I watch it over, with all right. So basically, what they the loose end that they that they leave hanging is that maybe he is a certain killer. Maybe he is, right. you know, a, a serial killer. The loose, but we don't know. You know what I mean? They just right. kind of zero in on just this weird, 
you know thing that he that he does right um and this last i want to mention before we before i get to my um to my thoughts on the series uh sorry the season um we also well this character returns um anna Torv's character we remember her from you right. know the, the the still great even though the the ending was kind of like you all just had an end like that though um fringe like i remember like right. real like it fringe and in the end it was just like all right yeah. duh. okay yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this kind of open it did stuff like all right duh. but anyway right so she plays wendy car she is a well she um she was this psychology professor working at boston right. university oh, boston. And, she, and then she moved to quantico to work with um with right. with bill holden right and what they what they established there is that um she is a lesbian right and she kind of just kept right. it on right. the wraps because you know well you're in the that? fbi you know what i mean well t- you know the reasons back then that uh, um, and well, in the she, 70s, so. yeah, yeah, it's the seventies, right? But in this right. season here, what they show is that she starts this relationship with this um this younger woman actually, because the last time it was with this professor, this older professor. So she was like a student, and they had a thing, but she felt like you know she was getting in the way of her success and whatnot. So she moved to this younger girl, but there's an issue with her, not too serious, but just mainly like her trying to hide the fact from her. You know, right. her, her ex-husband and their son that she's a lesbian as well too. So it's okay, just okay, that kind okay. of right. And I'll just jump into the, the stuff that I love about this show. Just the in general. Um, what I love about this show here, and you can explore it even more in season two, is is just the idea of duality, you know what I mean, with people. You know what I mean? There's always this side that you see, you know, when you go to work, you see this person when you're home, but there's always something else that you don't see. And the majority they they play that out well with um with yeah with the major characters in this right there's always a duality with these characters there's always a dark side involved um they exploded in season one with um with Holden with his kind of strange fascination with serial killers and just trying to right. think like them right almost the point that yes it 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 more or less destroyed his relationship that he had with this um this uh student right this female student right. So um, now they're more zeroing on Bill and his stuff that's going on with his family. Like, is something right. up with the boy? You know what I mean? Is the boy, could he potentially be a serial killer? But right. how, 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 how could that be the case? Because, I mean, he has loving parents, right? But, you know what I mean? So I love how the show kind of explores all those things. Like, what really could make a person, you know, trip off and become such a cold, calculated killer? You know what I mean? And... This is something that I was I was kind of like I had a little gripe with before, but I kind of understand now where you're thinking that the whole show, the whole season, just going to zero in on them trying to find this one killer. But actually, no, it's just like, all right, a killer might show up, he might disappear after a while, but then you will try to hunt somebody else. You know what I mean? Because it's just as these cases pop up, that's where they go. You know what I mean? It's not like it's all about them trying to find one killer. There's there's quite a few that exists in each season, so it's just like, all right, well. We had to focus on this one here, um, and what I like here with, uh, especially with with Holden's character, is that he feels like he could do more. Like if he could learn more and really, right. really understand how to find, you know, how to figure out the, the the killer's next move, then they could they could trap him. You know what I mean? And you see how it it really affects him, especially with the Atlanta stuff. Like he thinks that he's one step ahead. Like you know, he's really going his way right. to try to hunt this guy, but it's like, well, no, you know what I mean? And then especially when they find well. Um, this black suspect and the way how he's spinning this whole story I don't want to spoil what he does it's just like well what's the point it's just like well nobody cares because we're white FBI agents trying to bring down a black man and you know Atlanta's you know people in Georgia right. yeah. don't yeah, want yeah, that you know I mean? yeah um, and I also love how they touch on that too on not too much on race but just 
yeah, but it's a black man, you know what I mean? How he could yeah, accuse a black man for this, you know what I mean? Even though I still think the guy is guilty, I don't know, maybe I just need to do more research on this, but I, I personally think that he's guilty for all those murders. But then again, they, well, they had no evidence to prove this, so, you know, it's a shame, right? The writing in this is strong throughout, in my opinion. Um, there, there wasn't, there was little to no moment where I felt like the story dragged and whatnot. I would still right. say the whole idea that you might be hunting one killer one episode and then kind of drop that because they have enough evidence or some kind of shenanigans happen to so move on to something else might be a drawback to some people. And like, you know, if I watch again, I'm like, yeah, but I wish they focus on catching this guy first and then to the next one. But this is not what Mindhunt is, uh, is all about. It's more or less kind of right. taking what little they could find, even if it's, you know, with a, with a case is still open. And then trying to prevent that from happening elsewhere. You know what I mean, so I get that kind of vibe. And because they paint this in this whole thing, well, yeah, you know, America is on the fair. You know what I mean, it's it's terror. You know what I mean, terror in the United States. You know what I mean, it it works. Uh, the performances are strong throughout as well too. You know what I mean, uh, Holt McCallany, who plays Bill, I thought I think he's still the best character in this. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Groff, um, he's given a lot to do, not as much as the last season, but. I do like the dilemma where he's just trying to get this case solved and he doesn't want people to get killed, but every time he's trying to do something, something else gets in the way and then, well, news report comes, somebody else gets killed. And you right. see how that affects him. Um, Wendy Carr, well, Anna Tov, I thought that her character was great. Um, but she was always, like, in the sidelines anyway. So, like, she's always in the field hunting these people down because that's not her job, right? Right. But I like that she has her own little dilemma in the form of, well, this this girlfriend and, you know, her kind of opening out and opening, you know right. what I mean, this kind of coming out of the closet, basically. But, you know, times, you know what I mean? In the, even, the, right. well, since it's set in, like, the late 70s, early 80s, especially with the stigmatism that was, um, you know, towards gay people at the time, you know what I mean? So, you know, right. it's hard. Um, the way how it wraps up though was a little quick but you know it's just like a simple shot and you kind of get you understand what's going on there um, and I just really thought like you know be like yes they, it, this season has its moments though and because it kind of meanders you know you kind of have to kind of zero in on something that, that really impacts you but I felt like the Atlanta stuff really really hit me you know the, the most because of just what was going on and this just the inability of these of these FBI agents and cops to really find the perpetrator that that one really did affect man just now realizing that this case wasn't solved or at least a majority of the murders weren't solved was just like wow boy really um yeah I wish we got yeah I wish that we 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 saw more of the of the guy from Kansas like I thought that that they were really going to connect him to the overall narrative but no, unfortunately, we have to wait till the third season to see what, what, what happens next. But um, I have a feeling that, well, I hope they don't keep doing this, though. They keep hinting at him with each and every single episode, and then they don't ever capitalize on it. Because what I'm worried about, though, is that, um, you know, once again with Netflix and them kind of casting shows, like, you know, to me, this is one of the best shows that Netflix has right now. Eh? I don't want this to, to, to get canceled or even worse, you know, fall into the trap like something like how House of Cards fell in where, right, yeah, right. I was real into House of Cards. I was real enjoying it. You know what I mean? And then Kevin Spacey had to do the bullshit and I was like, well, <laughs> boy, now no, no, I can't even watch House of Cards no more. You know what I mean? Right. So I didn't even watch the finale. You know what I mean? I didn't watch the final season. No, a quick question. If Kevin Spacey bullshit didn't happen or didn't wasn't found out, would House of Cards stay good? Quick question. It, 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 I find story wise, it was still good. It was. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah. But like I said, <laughs> but yeah, boy. So is this one of those things I just worried about? I just want this show to just keep on thriving, but I just freed something to happen. You know, I don't, I don't no, want no. It to, like just end and then we don't know what happens to the guy yeah, from, yeah. The, from EDT, though, right? But um, just yeah. in closing, once again, like I said, you know, David Fincher's influence shows throughout. Um, I think he directed like three, the first three episodes or the first four episodes, and uh, well, this one is just nine episodes long, right? I think other people directed the the, the rest, but you could see his influence there. You know, the cinematography. And just the whole kind of new noir feel of things. Um, and also the use of music, you know what I mean? There's a lot of, like, late 70s, early 80s, you know, um, Billboard top 40 hits, just like last right. night that show up there. I just add a lot to the to the feel. Of, you know, this is a period piece, basically, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, like I say, this is a psychological drama, so don't go in expecting serious thrills or, you know, seven-style violence and, you know, just grimness, you know what I mean? It's just more... On the mental side of things, it's more about just you know, just like I say once again, just the duality of you know man and all that kind of stuff, right? I just works for such a great show. So yeah, this is one that has grown with me, you know what I mean? And yeah, season two is just yeah, just another reason why I really enjoy the show. So for me, um, written wise, I would give this a strong four to a very light four and a half out of five, man. Like um, I strongly recommend you check out Mindhunter. Um, don't go in expecting horror or a set of thrills, right? right. This is a slow yeah. burn kind of show, kind of rock yeah. back, you chill, and you just let the show kind of just kind of seep over you, just kind of just yeah. kind of soak yourself into it, and then you'll feel that kind of vibe. I, w- I would just say, in closing, it's one of those shows you just watch like on a rainy day, like when it's all cold and whatnot, you just kind of kick back and you just kind of just yeah. get sucked in into this this world of you know crazy people and psychopaths, and it works there. But yeah, okay. this is hands on one of the best shows that Netflix has right now. I really right. don't want some BS to happen, and then we don't okay. see more 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 seasons again. I'm really hoping that we don't get a Kevin Spacey scenario with this. I really nah, hope they're gonna be, <laughs> go be two year show, but they're gonna be two year show. <laughs> yeah, and I hope they don't cancel I'll, it I'll, too because I'll, we I'll, still don't know. We still don't know what that I, 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 guy I, I, is. <laughs> yeah, so uh, just to get into the news for two seconds, I will argue with the advent of Jeffrey Epstein's suicide. I feel uh-huh. whatever God come out, God be everything there. Like, I can't see any more be too shit out against coming out. Because it's just a big cover up of a, a sociopath, right? <laughs> that is what it was going on. Whatever. That's what two cents. Right.
Alright, so last but not least, Sex Toplets, which is the latest film starring Marlon Wayans. And before we get into Marlon Wayans, this is directed by Michael Tiddies. Tiddies. T-I-D-D-E-S. I, I was gonna say Tiddies, but <laughs> but anyway, so he is responsible for such films as A Haunted House. Right. A Haunted House 2. Both yeah. of which I, I skipped. I skipped yeah, those. When I saw trailers for those, I was like, no. No, 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 no. I think, no time. I think what happens is that he had, a, he had a problem, eh? I think we live in an age now where it really becoming intolerable that these kind of things should exist. Like, you have so many people who, you know, it's the Adam Sandler effect. You're wasting yes. money on bullshit. Oh, good thing I bring up you Adam Sandler, though, because, yeah, it's... Yeah. Hip, like a Malawian movie of this caliber being on Netflix is very reminiscent of like you know the Adam Sandler stuff like uh, what was yeah, yeah, every, every uh, Ridiculous Six whoever it is and there was one that was just so god awful I can't remember the every name of it right now shit, but I reviewed it every time I see this shit I, it's just basically that, uh, it's basically a scam going on that's how I see it it's just a big old scam it's just people getting money just to pay their friends that's how it's come yeah, up yeah 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 could at no point does yeah. anything serious or to take it seriously as a product. It's just yeah, you just you just you just get a product to pay your friends and get an excuse. Right, right. Now the, the show that I actually saw from this guy, from this director, and also starring Marlon Wayans, and it's kind of funny that I saw it, was Fifty Shades of Black. And this was right, right. when right. I forced myself to watch Fifty Shades of Grey, which if you remember made it to my wool stuff list. Back in 2015 right. or 16, whatever it was. But I watched Black right, right. just to see, oh, let me see how they pour it at, at, at Grainer. Right. And it was just not, this 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 didn't really try that hard at all. At like, talk. it's to the point that yeah. they, they get somebody to make, um, they, they made fun of the weekend us. The man made a song right. with it, right? Just a great song, by the way, in my opinion. Great song, eh? Don't mind, it's for a terrible movie. You're, you're gonna to make fun of the weekenders, like oh gosh, man! Like yeah. your soul definitely dumb. looking for content, or they're gonna make fun of the weekenders just for singing. Yeah, and what hate, yeah, what I hate about what I hate about this this stuff is again, you know, the free well, another person I like reference, not so much Adam Sandler, but the Freedberg and Salsa effect as well, right? Where oh yeah, but um, deep movie and epic movie again. and disaster movie, right, right? Yeah, right. Where these guys just but but the thing is, remember the whole point of this stuff is just you turn around on it. now. You know, where's the overhead that they get in? You have no overhead. That's the whole point. The whole point is that you do it, but do it cheap. And then you, you bullshit your way to the top about it, and then you make a profit, ultimately. Because this stuff doesn't make a profit. Like, say we want about it, is make a profit. Like, this is going to make money. Because it's just sheer volume now. Especially with the advent of Netflix. You don't have to get into theaters. You just have to kind of get people to watch it. And dice it. It could be total trash. But, you're gonna, you know, you're going to at least make an overhead and make money. Dice it. Yeah, yeah. You don't make right. money, but it, it, you, make a, you make a profit compared to how much you spend or invest in it. So, you know, like if I if I spend, you know, I, I forgot how cheap these things would be, but basically the free burger and salsa approach was, it was effectively like less than about four or five million, at most at 10 million for the movie. And then they make back like 15 million in a weekend or over the run period or for the month. And I said, yeah, 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 that's technically a profit. And it's right. bullshit now. Yeah. That's, that's going on here. It's just a scam. Again, it's a scam. Right. Yeah. Now, like I've now seen here, like apparently, like them is like you know, so 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 this is like 
Oh, God. How, how, how best to describe it, boy? So this is like a Martin Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio kind of partnership going on, you know what I mean? So every film I sign, you're going to direct us. So along with A Haunted House right, right. 1 and 2 and 50 Shades of Black, um, he was also in a movie that I remember being advertised on Netflix called Naked. Um, this was a, a, a comedy film, of course, a feature, right? I didn't know much about it. I just saw a post of it. I was like, ah, oh, Mamma Mia. Yeah, he said a comedy kind of shit, whatever. But I was... I was just like, okay, this is some kind of one-off thing. Okay, no problem. And I also remember that he was in a sitcom on NBC called Marlon, right? Which right, about yeah. to watch because once again, you know, not not was a fan of of the Wayans, but now not anymore because it just how right. you know how how disposable the humor was. It just felt like all the right. talent just got flushed out yeah. the toilet, basically, right? Okay, which, 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 which now which now we could get into with Marlon and the Wayans and just the, right. the drop in quality. The thing, is, the thing is with Marlon, Marlon wasn't the worst thing ever. Um, of course. So you remember, you remember a show called, I think, um, what's his name, boy? Was he a comedian named Jared Carmichael? You know who that is? Yeah, yeah, I know he is. Right. He had a show, he had a show on NBC that was pretty good and, and it just, just didn't work now. Um, Marlon wasn't kind of in the same category of that. Not, not as good as that show, but still okay. But you could see why it would get cancelled kind of thing. Yeah. Right, and I um so I, I that's why I thought I thought the Marlon show wasn't the worst thing ever. It wasn't the worst thing ever. Like it, it's like okay, he trying to do something, but you know he going on NBC, and that was kind of a mistake. Right, so that thing. So I wasn't really hating on it. Not it's not it's it's still kind of bad. Eh? Again, not as good as the Carmichael show, but it just didn't work. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah. whatever. Yeah. So I didn't but... think it was like a turn around, but it's like well, you're doing something. And then he come with this bullshit, and I was like, all right, well, you need to fuck off now, then. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time kind of looking through at his, his track record as far as movies go, right? But, you know, right. like, he has been in, in good stuff. You know, I mean, even though they were, like, silly, you know, spoof films, you know what I mean? Like, like case of point, right, right. popular example, being Don't Be a Menace to South Central, Educated Juice in the Hood. So That's like one of my, yeah, one of my favorite movies. So one of my favorite Wayans movies, period, right? In, in my opinion. It was wild, it was, it was in your face, but it really touched on just the, the saturation of hood movies in the 90s, right? That was the point, right? I just had this sort of airplane approach where we just going to be slapstick and silly and raunchy with it, right? But then from there, it was just like, all right, we have six man, I didn't care to see that back then. Senseless didn't care for that. He surprised me right. a record for a dream. I thought Scary Movie, you know, fit the whole Doobie yeah. Menace thing, but it was just way over right. the top as far as their cinema horror films go. Scary Movie 2, was that a fan of it? Like, I know I probably won a few who just didn't care for it at all. Um, I, I was surprised when he was in Lady Killers, right, with, with um, Tom Hanks. You know, he kind of playing against his wild, you know, persona. But from there, boy, I would say the moment where I was like, all right, this is where the humor, like, I want to talk about, like, the, the humor of the Wayans. Um, I, I more prefer, I'm more talking about, like, Sean and Marlon, eh? The day right. two was kind of okay, so in I, tradition as Keenan okay. and Damon, who kind of kind of just settled right. into into like you know TV shows and whatnot. Now, you know what I mean? Right. No. Yeah. Exactly. And and you know, like just get a quick history of them. Like like Keenan was really the only true talent in that bunch. Like I'm I'm not a Damon fan per se, but like Damon up there, but really Keenan, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And I mean, he was the guy who who create in Living Color, right? Let's let's yeah, not forget much. that. You know, and well, it have a, I know it have a whole backstory with him and not being not getting into SNL. It have a whole story with that. Right. Uh, but the thing is, between Sean and Marlon, I really thought, all right, I always thought Sean was the more talented one. 
Um, and Marlon was just 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 a goofball type. But then when yeah. Marlon did him for a dream, I was like, oh, Marlon real talented too. So like he could build from the end. Since he's the younger one, he could really cut catapult himself and do something interesting. And he just didn't. He just yeah. kind of stole out himself. And I was like, yeah, what the fuck? Why does he yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. So Go so ahead. so to so to me the moment where I was like, all right, this is the moment where the Wayans brand of humor just gonna take a nosedive here. Was from a little movie that was like real popular back in 2004 by White Chicks. I remember right. that being such a big deal back then. Eh? And right. yes, when I saw it the first time, I laughed at some point. I chuckled at some point. But I think the the, the joke really, the, 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 the what I thought was what made it work, right? Back then, not now, is how subversive it was. Eh? So it wasn't just white, it wasn't just black men playing white 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 characters, but they playing white women too. White right. bougie woman too. That was the right. that was the cell, and it was like this could have be a smart film, but That's it was thing, just eh? toilet white humor chick. and just yeah, yeah. this white really chick, white basic chick, right. jokes. This is one of those movies that I was always on the fence about because I, I always hated it for its its coonery buffoonery stuff, especially a yes. character who, I, especially an actor who I've gone gone to respect immensely now. Um, I absolutely hated him then. The Terry, Terry Crews, yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and back then but, Terry Crews was the quote unquote funniest person in that whole show. Um, right, really, he, was, he was the most annoying actually. <laughs> right, exactly. And I remember, but that's the thing with the with the with the, with the movie. It was a movie I was watching it and just just watching it at the time. And again, early two thousands, I was in my in my, my black intellectual, you know, black bougie age of oh, this is beneath me, and why does the black man is doing this nonsense? That shit, right? right? right. And <laughs> um. I thought it was one of those scripts that could have done so much better and this was kind of a waste. Yes, you're right. It could have been smarter. Especially with the subversive stuff that I that I just mentioned. Right. But no, it's just basic jokes. Oh we just making fun of how white bougie girls act. Hey, let's go shopping. That's the joke. Right. Ah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then from there, boy, it was just just a downhill a downward spiral, boy. Little man, boy. That I don't remember when, that. When at that all. happened, boy, I was like, yeah. I, I, I remember seeing this as a double with the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Eh? I never forgot this. Like, um, I had like it was one of those like kind of like I was just doing something. And I was like real tired, like um, this all night or whatever it is, right? So I went in trying to keep my eyes open. It's like, all right, well, Pirates kind of going a little slow, but it could. But then as soon as Little Man started, everybody yeah. just was just laughing from start to end. I just did yeah. like. Yeah, I don't get this. What what was so funny about this? It's Marlon yeah. play. It's Marlon. It's, it's a midget Marlon playing a baby, and they're right. running this gag for ninety minutes. Yeah, and this is yeah. the funniest thing ever to everybody in the cinema that I was in. I just like, yeah, what what what? Yeah, but yeah, but, that's, that's the rough part about this is that as again the bullshit does work now. So you know when you, you know you know guys like us just fall for a trap, right? Where We'll say this has never worked and it's so dumb and cliche, not realizing I have a whole chunk of people that love this bullshit. That's the thing. You and know? that's what I want to get into with um sex tuplets here. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. You know, you know, it's like um, you know when people say, you know, when people say Donald Trump is an obvious con man, it's like, yeah, no shit. Like it have reasons why con men is work. <laughs> that's, right. Exactly. That's the problem. It's like, yes, because you don't fall for it and you don't fall for the magic trick. Is more yeah, exactly. And and the thing with the thing with with, with with a hard lesson that guys like us has had to learn is that it's not that people truly fooled per se, but there's a kind of performative aspect to the people who like this bullshit. 
is it more like, oh, well, this relates to me and this is what I have, and that is what I'm going to watch in that sense. Yeah. Or like, well, this is black comedy. Like, this is like what right. Eddie Murphy was doing, you know, yeah, with not professor and stuff like that. Right. And you know how, uh, why I keep thinking, that's why I, I, brought up, I brought this up with Last Black Man of San Francisco, where I said, if it wasn't for Barry Jenkins, I would have been standing for Joan Peel more. If you understand the point, yeah, as in, you have an option. You're going to just take what you could take, and then that's going to be the rule of thumb going forward. And that's that's why I think a a big part of, you know, this psychology to be part of is not just, obviously, it's not just um, the thing that you might find funny, maybe, but there's a kind of identity performative aspect of, well, you you need it to work. And that's why I think that's why this bullshit does work. They they take advantage of that now. It's it's kind of like televangelists. Televangelists are like most of them know he's a bullshitter, but you know, they don't have nothing else working for it. And they, they at least get the sense that he's a bullshitter for you now. Yeah. That's how I feel about this stuff. Like, why these movies is work or why they make money is that, yeah, it's a performative element that you have to take into account. That's my, you know, um, armchair psychology behind that. You know, that's right. how I feel about these things. Like, why does it work? And it's not that people dumb. I think there are a whole chunk of people who know that they could, they could have better, but they, if they don't have anything, if you don't have anything representing you out there, you ain't gonna take it, even if it quote unquote better objectively. Yeah. You get my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I get, I get. I remember. Well, I mean, Eddie Murphy was the man back in the nineties, yeah. right? But then after like stuff, well, I would say after like Night Professor Two and stuff like that, you know, we didn't see anything from him now. So I mean, it's like, yeah. well, who we have next? You know, what I mean, who we have in the pipeline? Oh, we have uh, Marlon Wayans and well, his kind of straight Kevin man Hart. brother Sean. Okay, Kevin let's Hart. have them. You write like Kevin Hart. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like in, 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 in 2010s, basically, yeah, yeah. This, this is like people, a new trend. Yeah, and have a whole chunk of people who really take Kevin Hart funny and never find this dude funny. But at dude, the, I, I, I never, I personally never went out of my way to watch a Kevin Hart movie yet. None of his stand-ups. None of his stand-ups funny. But the dude, but I get, I get like that generation now. It's like, oh, that is for me, and I think he's so funny. Is that? Is that bullshit now? Yeah, yeah. All right, right. so... We we talk a lot about Marlon Wayans, boy, but uh, 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 sorry, I just had to do that. But sex tuplets, what is this about, boy? So basically, can we keep mentioning um, Eddie Murphy and you know Nutty Professor, right? So this is basically Marlon Wayans trying to do what Eddie Murphy did back in '96 and 2000 when the second Nutty Professor two, which I enjoy back then. But I have a feeling if I watch it again, I'll be like, eh, that, that really don't hold up that much. But yeah, he's he's doing the whole you know multiple character thing where oh, he's playing. Right. In this case, he's playing six characters, right? All of them yeah. related, of course, and sex topless, right? So we introduced the Alan, right? Um, he's the sort of you know well, I'm even gonna talk about dimensions into into the characters, right? But he's okay. a street character in all of this. Um, he's yeah. married. Um, he's well. His wife is about to give birth in a couple of weeks, so he gets put to leave, kind of to to be with her. And then he learns. Well, he kind of find. Well, he kind of reveals that. Um, well, we learn. Sorry, he doesn't really reveal that he never knew who his bomb was or if he had any, right. you know, siblings or whatnot. Well, actually, it's really about his mom. Fortunately, his uh, his wife, his wife's um, um, dad. Is a judge, so he just get that information about a half hour. This birth certificate, and well, he found her mother name, went by her house, and then he is introduced to um to Russell, right? Who is yeah. the, the 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 fat um twin brother of of Alan, right? And his shtick is that he's he's 
he stays home a lot. He's always on his couch. He's always watching old episodes of Mork and Mindy for some reason. He's always watching yeah. like these old sitcoms now, and he even makes reference to Rockford Files, which by the way, because of so how because of the amount of goddamn times they mention it in the show, I kinda wanna see the show now. I kinda wanna see Rockford Files because I don't know, it just wasn't in my time. I wasn't alive when that show was out, right? But they just make mention of it so much times now. I, I kind of want to see what the big deal is. So, and I'll kind of get into the review here one time. And yes, I have to spoil this because I, 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 really I can't really review this film proper without spoiling it, right? Uh, sorry. Right. So, yeah, like, I don't give a fuck. Exactly. You shouldn't this is, hear this anyway. Is, yeah, this is a classic case of spoilers. Fuck you. Yeah, exactly. So, at first, right? I, I did not like Russell's character at all, right? You know, I mean, you know, it's the cliche. Oh, he's fat, so you know, he's always have yeah. to stop and eat stuff. In this case, his food of choice is cereal, right? He has this fixation on cereal. He always had to eat cereal, right? That's the joke. Okay, right. Um, and then like from 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 the from the very beginning, right, for the dialogue and all that. Like in my head, I tell myself, all right, so this is more or less Malin trying to give we a kind of team version of his more raunchy Ari to sell a comedy, right? Because I never saw Naked, so I don't know the rating of that. So I figure, okay, this is kind of like him being kind of family friendly a little bit. You know, the dialogue is very, like, oh yeah, by the, the script feels so incredibly 90s. The way how the dialogue is delivered kind of in this stilted kind of sitcomish kind of way, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so I was like, all right, so he kind of good for a family vibe here. Because, you know, it's about family. And, you know, I was thinking, well, you know, it's like the Wayans in a sense. You know, we like the right. Wayans brothers. You know, always going back to family and all that kind of good shit, right? But anyway, so I was okay, like, yeah, you know. Yeah, what is Bottom Bear about this, right? Yeah. Why does he get the extended family in the show? Like, Kim could Kim make a cameo in this? Right, Kim? No. That, I, I, yeah. Up to this day, I still don't know what happened to Kim Wayans in her. Yeah, this is she was one of the funniest. <laughs> People in 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 um in in, 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 in the living color dread. Where is she? Where yeah. is she? Like, real talk. 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 buried somewhere. Yeah, boy. Like <laughs> anyway. So at first I was getting kind of okay. So this is this is me in my head. All right. So they kind of go in for the nineties buddy comedy kind of thing or the eighties say like you know like a plane, trains and automobiles kind of vibe now. Like all right, right. I gonna stick with you. Even though you're annoying, man, you have these little practices I do like. Even though the whole, I can stay in a motel and, yeah, we had to sleep together. But yeah, I do like when you just do certain things, blah, blah, blah. You do all the cliche stuff, right? So, like, all right, he, he kind of go in for this kind of lighthearted kind of thing. Okay, he not going to do the caricature stuff, the African-American caricature stuff. All right. The joke's not landing at all, but I, I kind of get it. Okay, let me see where this goes. But what about the other siblings, boy? And as soon as I ask that question, then they jump into Dawn. And okay. um, she is the, well, <laughs> I was thinking instantly of Lizzo for a sec because, because she's full figure there, you know what I mean? But yeah, she is that ratchet, you know, tick, you know, African-American woman caricature. You right, know what right, mean? right. She, she's in jail, you know what I mean? Yeah. She like, oh, her, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, then the from day, the... Black, black, sassy. Sassy, yeah, black, sassy, yeah, black. That, yeah, that, that sassy black woman kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then from the boy, it was like back to Malinwean, Zuma Malinwean does again. And, and this is this to me has always been a problem with this with this comedy, yeah. 
um, especially in the 2010s now, where you will always take like this like real low kind of bargain basement character, like real cliche African-American stereotype, right? And just play on it over and over and over. So, okay, fat kid, home alone, you know what I mean? He, 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 he wanted to stay home and watch TV. That's kind of a little bit different. I mean, him watching old shows, okay, this is something new. But then as they introduced Dawn, it's like, all right, we're just going, you know, you know, stereotype, you know, territory once again, you know what I mean? She she want to pick fights with people. She always like, okay, you know what I mean? And we're doing this thing again. I was just like, oh, yeah. my God, we're doing this yeah, good. We're really doing this. And um, the other characters that we introduce here, we have Ethan, which is probably one of the worst characters in this whole show. It's just basically yeah. this kind of hustler guy. And he not, he not even, like, he was, like, it's not like Marlon's character. Like, it's not like um, Alan meets up with him. Eh? Ethan actually goes to Alan's house and visits his wife there. Because basically, he, his, his whole thing is that he just want money. See, man going by workplace trying to get money. He he runs into his boss, who's played by poor Molly Shannon. Molly Shannon. Okay, she just, like, wow. God, but yeah. And, well, she trying to get with him because, you know, she was, like, kind of attracted to, to, to Alan. So, Ethan being this kind of edgy, kind of hustler guy. is like, ooh, you know what I mean? You're right up my alley. Ooh, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? And he's just... Yeah, I am a talk. Well, not a talk, but basically, yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm a talk like a pimp, and you know, I mean, like you don't talk to me like this, bitch, like all that kind right, of stuff. Right. It's like that, that, uh, that stereotype. Okay, and his, and his thing, his, 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 um, his motivation is just I want money because I, I, I broke. That's that's his motivation, right? Um, we have three. God, we have two other characters to bring it here. So we have Baby Pete now, who is just this. Well, he has he has some particular ailment now. Nah. He in the hospital, he need a kidney. And so said, so done. Um they kinda hook something up and now Alan has to donate the kidney to the guy. As he get the, the kidney, the man run off, go on to Cuba oh. to to just basically go on vacation and just you know, just be on holiday basically. That that that's his right. gimmick. His gimmick is that he wants a kidney so he can leave and go to Cuba. That's it. And Alan just so happened to be, you know, he's a goody two shoes in the whole show now. So it's like, yeah, man, let he do it. Let he get a kidney, man. Because, well, in this case, it was Alan and the attitudes between Alan, Dawn, and, and Russell, right? But Dawn and Russell, too fat. So it's like, hey, let's pick him because, you know, he's as fat as us, right? Haha. <laughs> right? And last but not least, probably the most pointless character in this whole show, Jasper. Who right. just happens to be black well he's he's the black ginger character that you see if you look at the poster right and they make this painfully annoying this painfully awful joke right like if somebody else had delivered it i'd kind of laugh but to me the reason why i didn't laugh because it just felt so dated so the man is a nin is a ninja so okay. the, the joke is that well you took two derogatory terms you know nigger and ginger and he's a ninja that's the joke right <laughs> Wow. God, boy. I wouldn't be laughing at this too, but I was like, but this feels like something somebody would have delivered, like, so, say, Chris Rock or Chris Tucker would have delivered Def Comedy Jammers, like, and they stopped the film Chris just Cola, to tell Chris, the joke. Was he anybody to JS? JS jokes? I forget the actual term. It's our old term, basically, it's a, joke, a joke so bad and told so poorly that you can't help but laugh. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, uh, I don't want the well, I don't know the actual term, but yeah, I know I know the definition, I know what that means. Yeah, boy. And his thing is that 
he is jealous of the family. He is the black sheep of the family. So the man have like personal like goons helping him out. So after the whole hospital shenanigans, he ended up having like his two goons more or less black bag over the head of 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 both um Alan and and Russell and take them back to his home and all that kind of stuff. And he had him tie up and he electrocuted them. And you want to guess what what kind of motivated him to to let them go? They all fans of the Rockford Files, Dread. And they all end up singing the theme song to it. It's like, oh my god, (laughs) you love the Rockford Files too. (laughs) And then the mother come in, and yes, the mother is played by Marlon Wayans. I mean, you guessed it, yes. And it's like almost like Tyler Perry, Medea, but just Marlon Wayans playing it. But that's less of the Tyler Perry isms, right? That's all I would say, right? But yeah, once again, right? Because Medea already done bad. You think Medea has done the low point of that, but he he ripping off that badly. Yeah, like in 2019, you had a rip off Medea's. Come on, man. Come on, man. And as you would expect, you know, um, Alan's wife's water broke bricks. You know. Soon and unexpected and shenanigans and yada 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 and they have the child and they all the family now the end. So right. I I can't even say anything good about this thing because like I say once again at first I think in okay this is just them trying to play this kind of sort of um, generic sort of sitcom style kind of thing like you know it's Netflix now so we're not gonna get the raunchiness that kind of stuff that you expect from a from a Marlon Williams film. And then, as I say, as soon as that one character don't come in, it's just stereotype stuff over and over and over. We get that stuff. The char- none of the characters, none of the sex tuplets have any any depth to them. They just all one dimensional. They just there. They just on film. And I think I think no no. Like, while I was watching this thing, eh, because I put up a status of it, like me, <laughs> I put up a status while I was watching the show, like how how annoyed I was by watching this. Eh? And I saw like a couple of people comment and say. I actually like it. I think it was good. And the reason why yeah, I'm doing this effeminate voice, okay, yeah, it was it was two girls that I know on Facebook. Them them like the yeah. show. Them like it. They find the sister it. Dawn, who I hated, was the yeah, funniest thing in the whole show. I know you anything, eh? No, okay. So here's another part of this that you know it is why you just back off of these things. Look, people find shit funny that you don't find funny. Like humor, let's admit it. Humor has a shelf life. Things don't hold up as well as they do. I think it's terrible now, and it probably would grow on here. But you know, it's have a bunch of kids who like shit that funny. Like, okay, I'll give an example. I never find Euro Trip ever that funny, but I always thought Road Trip was much funny, right? I because was I... the opposite actually. I I, I yeah. actually really enjoy Euro Trip because of how how wild it was the way you run right. It was just but my, all in that... face with it. That, that was I thought that was funny. But my thing is, if you if you do do something original, it does lose a lot of, of its thing. It's not about execution and humor. The original premise of the work, and then you build. If you don't build from that, that is fine. And if you're ignorant of the original stuff, then stuff does end up being funnier because it rarefied without the audience knowing better, right? Right. Right. So this is a case of that in a sense. We have a bunch. Like that's the thing with a lot of humor. You realize a lot of people don't watch a lot of humor. So when they they kind of get a half funny comedian, like oh gosh, I just go straight up say it and then blackball myself from the local comedy scene. There's a lot of local comedians like that. Like, local comedy is just the laziest bullshit ever. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I, I yeah. just got to call a particular somebody who is be on Instagram. 
we no, 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 like a lot, the, a lot of the millennial younger comedians in Trinidad are genuinely hilarious. Yeah, right. they, they but they talk about like Tommy but Joseph he, sprang along, no, those guys. No, no, not those guys. Come out, you know, you ever see comedy festival and you see these like this just is just a play. Oh, yeah, just, yeah, like, yeah. God, 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 stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And we, we never really had a good stand-up culture. In Trinidad, and I'll admit, stand-up is like an American thing anyway, so wherever it is, not something that would have translated, I do think, particularly well. But modern stand-up comedians, no, great. But that's not the point. The point is what people think funny now. Right, and I agree, so, yeah. That is the problem with a lot of funny. I, I, I'm not a person who just succumbs to everything just being relative and subjective. You know, I do think it has mechanics that make things better than other things objectively. But comedy is one of those things that, really, let's call it, very divergent. Right, so right. when you see people say they like this thing and not that thing, don't be surprised. <laughs> like, holy yeah, shit, yeah. Is, I, I, I understand, but but think about it too. It's bullshit, and that is how is the same point I was making before with the performativity as well. Eh? Right, they don't have yeah. nothing else, they go bounce onto that one thing, and yeah, well, and we right. have just perfect dish, yeah, right. mal- um, bullshit, and get away with it. Yeah, but there's a, there's a few things I just want to mention before before I get to reading, right? But right, the right. thing about it, like, while I was watching the show, I was like, all right, this isn't funny to me, right? But I'm imagining yeah. other people who will watch this and like it, right? So this is like why, it. like, early on when they were going for the whole body comedy kind of thing, right? I was right, like, right. all right, if somebody have nothing else better to do with their time, they could just kind of rock back, watch this chocolated laugh. Kind of like the sort of easygoing music and the flow and everything like that. It really does feel like a early, like a nineties or more or less like a two thousand comedy. You know, this remind me of this remind me of Daddy Daycare House, the perfect example where okay, yeah, it's yeah. an actor who you know to be in more PG thirteen and R rated comedies, right? You know, he he have mouth, right? Being in a PG movie, and what he have to sell is I'm Eddie Murphy in a PG movie. That's it, right? I'm I'm not as funny as I was, but I, I, I'm funny to to kids now. To, I'm more family friendly now. So this is why I was getting with with the show. Yeah. I was getting like a family friendly version of Marlon Wayans, right? Which, like I say, ended as soon as that Dawn character came in, right? So I was like, at first, well, I go in and it's like, all right, well, I see the appeal to, of this somehow. I could kind of just watch it and not really think about it, and then they say, yeah, it was all right. It was. Nice, I guess. This is the last thing I want to, I want to say about a Marlon Wayans comedy, but anyway. But it just diverged into the same stuff that I just do like about his, his humor, boy, where you just have these annoying characters who just get on their skin. And just these scenarios built around them that just don't add nothing to the story. It's just like, well, yeah, we have a, a character who, who need a kidney. So the joke is, oh, he has, um, Alan has to give up his kidney. Ha 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 ha! And he wants to run away. Ah! And he runs into a door that Russell opens while he was looking for cereal to eat. That's the joke. Ha ha! Get it? Like no, like these jokes just fall flat. They feel there's not even childish. It just feels so lazy, dread, so by the numbers. And for a man like 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 Marlon Dredd, you know he could do better. But then the ironic part is, you know, because he he he's um his style is more with the spoof stuff, right? He just can't get over the whole spoof stuff that he did from way back when, right? Like, he just want to hold on to that for dear life, right? It's like, he can't do anything else. If he's not spoofing a movie or a, a franchise, he can't really deliver nothing else, you know what I mean? Yeah. He could have just played safe with the whole easygoing 
Netflix thing. But no, he just had a trend, add a little bit more malin to it, and it just it just feels all together, man. I mean, not much more I could say about this boy. Like, I not even gonna waste my time trying to analyze the humor because there's just none here. You know what I mean, I could have let slide it uh, with it being just this body chew with some heart in it, but then. Like I see, as you had to go with all these stereotypes, boy, and all these like just annoying characters that have no purpose of being in the show, and then you want to wrap all them up in the end and say, "But it's about family. That's the point, right? You know, we are family." Ha! Ah. Nah, sorry, waste of time. One out of five for me. This is one of the worst shows I've seen for this year. This is one of the worst shows I see in Netflix <laughs> history, in my opinion. Uh, Marlon really need to either step things up or just stick to doing sitcom stuff at NBC boy. but this movie stuff I don't know like for me now I see it's better he just stick with the spoofs with the, with the, with the parodies best he stick with that because yeah. that's what he good at right now when he trying to do normal comedies that feel like something out of like the 90s or the 2000s some watered down PG stuff is just a failure and just knowing that he had to go back to his old to going back in the bag and just trying to put um, you know you old tricks now you know what I mean yeah, just gonna play the, the the stereotype here and do all that kind of stuff and expect you to laugh. Nah, I sorry. I know his shows have an audience, but and this is the last last thing I want to say, and then I'll I'll move on. Now I just wondering now with people who prefer his more raunchy stuff, what are you gonna think about something like this? I really don't know. Cause this is this is tame compared to to that stuff now. But right. I don't know, boy. It's just who is the audience for this, Jen? I really yeah, don't know. Well. I really don't know. Yeah, yeah, boy, and this really gonna affect the longevity of the show. Cause yeah, so you know, what I mean, if you like it, that's fine. But I, I bet you, within about a few days, you will just forget you even saw this show, Jed. Or, or even worse, you wouldn't even want to see this movie again, Jed. Even, even though you laugh your head off, I really doubt you will watch this over again, Jed. So, one out of five, skip this shit. Even waste your time. Yeah. All right. So with all that being said, Ricardo, where can we find you online? I'm Pasat, R-M-A-D-D-Y on Twitter. You can just find me at, at R-M-A-D on Twitter. And then you can just type in uh, Ricardo Medina on Facebook. Or you could try, type Facebook in Ricardo Medina. That's going to be a possibility soon, maybe. It should. You should have your own entertainment page, Ricardo. You really need to put yourself out there, Ricardo. <laughs> it's no, no, it's more like no, the joke, well, the joke was is more like a cybernetic kind of thing. You type Facebook in me, right? <laughs> Uh, ah, okay, okay. I, I, I get what you Sneaky, right? Right. Uh, um, yeah, just type in my name. You can find me there. And yeah, that's it. All right. So Twitter, you can find me at Bear Beat Bailey on Instagram, Bears Beats and Bailey on Facebook. Just for my name, Match Bailey, along with the Legally Black blog official fan base. We find a link to this podcast as well as the others that we've done over the past few years, including retrospective views and uh, stuff to look forward to. Um, well, we we still keep our fingers crossed, hoping that we still we get. Still, still waiting patiently for for once upon a time in Hollywood. Really excited. To I, don't see that. I don't want to pirate it. I don't want to pirate it. I don't want to pirate it. You know, I I want to. I mean, look when Eightful Eight came out. It, yeah, it, 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 it we had to pirate it first, but we still went to see it in cinema afterwards. Yes, yeah, yeah. I want to see it. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, but other than that, though, we have <sighs> this is this is messed up. This is why I hate about August as far as like movie going goes, way. It's yeah. how why why call like filler movies like they could be good, yeah. but it, they look so disposable though. So we have yeah. Blinded by the Lights, which oh. I really know much about. We have Angel Has Fallen, which I really know I can't see because I didn't really care for Olympus Has Fallen at all. 
And I didn't no, no. bother to watch um what was the other one, the sequel, whatever the name is. Um whatever the name was, the Olympus. Um something has fallen again, I can't remember. But anyway, um we have freaks which gained good reviews, but I know the trailer just underwhelmer. We have Ready or Not, which the premise looks pretty interesting, but the trailer was just like, uh, I don't know still, you know what I mean? Um, but other than that, though, next month we have um, It Chapter 2. I'm really excited for that. Right. I hear it's going to be three hours, so this could be like the Avengers Endgame of horror films. I really want to challenge myself with that. Uh, we're supposed to get in Ad Astra, which, uh, shockingly enough, right. I didn't uh, yeah, watch I... the of, but um, it, it, it looks good, right? I'm, I'm asking you. Yeah, look, I, I think it looks great. I want to see what it's about. <laughs> okay, okay, cool, cool. Um, I'll, I'll check it out when it comes out. Oh, and last but not least, um, just seeing this out there for me to remember in case I forget. Um, there's an Amazon docu-series, actually, which came out a few weeks ago called Free Meek. Okay, okay. Yeah, which, which is about, yeah, Meek Mill and, you know, the, 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 the whole, the flaws within the legal system of the United States and all that stuff. Um, I believe right. it's like four or five episodes long, so um, I'm going to make the effort to check it out. I recommend you check it out, too. I mean, right. it's, it's a Bowie boy, Meek Mill, and, you know, just drama he went through. So, um, yeah, yeah, I really want to see that um, as well. So, you know, we can look forward to um, for a review of that, hopefully, with the, with, with the next episode. Yeah. And, yeah, that's pretty much about it. So, once again, guys, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whatever this is. This was Matthew Bailey-Ann. God of Medina. <laughs> and we're signing off for another episode of BSB to Bailey. So, until the next one, take care. Peace.